Hey, F1 fans, hope you're checking out the Ringer F1 show. It's hosted by Kevin Clark. On Sundays sometimes, like today, Spanish Grand Prix. Broke it down right after with Megan Schuster. He also has uh, journalists, fans, all types of people on. Check it out, the Ringer F1 show, only on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader, right? First half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. New Rewatchables is going to be coming on Tuesday this week, not Monday, because I am going to do another podcast tomorrow night. We made this one a one-parter. I'm going to do another one tomorrow night after uh, Celts Heat and have a special guest for the second part of that as well. A guest that I think will surprise you and delight you. Surprise and delight you. Speaking of the Ringer Podcast Network, if you missed the PGA Championship or if you watched it, either way, you're going to be happy because Fairway Rowan is going to have a podcast about it with Nathan Hubbard and Joe House. I watched it. Pretty, pretty blah tournament until the last five or six holes. Felt like nobody wanted it. Um, nobody wanted to take it. JT just kept kind of plugging away. Got to his minus five. Felt like it was going to be one shot short. And then a double bogey on the 18th by our leader. Poor Mito. Uh, feeling it. Just feeling it. Had no money on it. Didn't bet on this tournament at all. And for whatever reason, you just could feel the possible choke hanging over 18, especially with that weird drive. Some people are kind of going near the water. All you have to do is part. He wins the PGA, wins a major. Instead, double. Tough. Not on the all-time short list of roughest, uh, roughest collapses in a major, but in terms of just watching somebody on the 18th staring at, if I par this, I win a major and just gacking the drive, that would definitely be in the YouTube clip of that. Anyway, check out Fairway Rowan. Check out the Ringer F1 show as well with Kevin Clark, reacting to the Spanish Grand Prix. And check out Ringer FC because the Premier League ended on Sunday. I actually watched the uh, second half of the Man City game. That was, was exciting stuff. Gotta say, soccer. Sport might catch on. Who knows? Watch out for those young kids kicking that ball. Pretty good stuff. I remember the days when Mark Stein was saying they were the Clippers. 
the Premier League. When I was trying to pick my Premier League team, I picked Tottenham. That lasted a couple of years. Then I had my kids got older, and I realized that I did not have uh, enough weekend bandwidth to really throw myself into soccer. So I had to abandon it. Would have been great. I wish I'd found it 10 years sooner. It would have been great for me. Speaking of soon, Ryan Marcello's coming up in one second. We're going to talk about Warriors Mavs, Andrew Wiggins Day. We're going to talk about Celtics Heat. We're going to make up some DeAndre Ayton trades. We're going to talk about this midseason tournament idea and a whole bunch more. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, we are taping this part of the podcast, 11.41 Eastern Time. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. Just watched Warriors-Mavs Game 3. This was a popular uh, betting pick, was the Mavs in the first half. Mavs to come back, usually Game 3, so Mark Davis was there. You know what? It turned out to be Andrew Wiggins' day. I, Russell, you're, are you caught up on We Own This City yet? You're not all the way caught up, right? Three, you watched first three? Yeah, first three. I'm sort of like saving it just because uh, how much I enjoy it. I mean, it's just anybody who's a Wire fan, you're like, I can't believe I get to see something like this 20 years later. Oh my God. Well, episode four is great. We broke it down on Prestige TV, but at one point, Wayne Jenkins, the Burnthal character, he, something good happens for him. He's like, happy Wayne Jenkins day. He named, named the day after himself. Um, he's the villain character, charismatic. This was how I felt about Andrew Wiggins Day today. This felt like Andrew Wiggins Day. This was it. We talk later in this podcast about Hall of Famers and <laughs> there's a whole Andrew Wiggins session there. This was probably the most important basketball game he's ever played. This was the most impressed but I've been by him in a basketball game. And it's hard not to say that this was one of the most important trades of the last 10 years when you think they got a guy who's a valuable starter for them in a playoff series. They're about to make the finals, it looks like. And they get the Kaminga pick for a guy, Russell, that you and I don't really like that much. Well, we know the part that you're going to hear later that was taped before the game that once I made a very strong anti-Wiggins Hall of Fame argument, which I still think is somewhat strong, uh, he was going to go <laughs> off tonight. So that's just like, as soon as we get done, I was like, he's going to have 40. <laughs> you inspired him. And he had a poster dunk too. He dunked on Luca. Oh, the rare... Uh, they they reversed the call. That I couldn't believe fun. it. I figured yeah. they would just go with his off arm and Lucas sold it a little bit. Mm. Uh, but I was I was just happy for just if you believe in anything in life, that should be two points. Yeah, that's like a spirit of the uh, spirit of the game. Are you surprised? Well, let's talk about Wiggins first. There's that always. There's that what if with him in 2014, where Cleveland has the first pick, but all of a sudden LeBron's coming back to Cleveland. And I remember there's a piece of my Grantland archives about this, about me wondering if it made sense to actually keep Wiggins and for LeBron to use the next couple of years to kind of, you know, they had a young roster that Kyrie try to train Wiggins basically to be his Pippin, to be his athletic sidekick defender, doesn't need to, you know, have the ball like LeBron does and stuff like that. But they traded him obviously to Minnesota and his career went a different direction. He always put up stats. But it de- when I saw a game like tonight, it makes me think like, let's say they just keep them for a year to see if they like them. Or let's say Kevin Love isn't sitting there. They just don't have a trade. And they're like, let's take Wiggins and we'll just keep him. Do you think his career's different? 
I hear this a lot. You know, people talk about quarterbacks a lot, like, oh, you know, bad coaching staff. They change the coordinator. Usually if they're changing the coordinator so much, it's because you're not playing well. Mm. Uh, I'm not as big of a believer on that, that there's some alternative choose-your-own-adventure life path as a basketball player for Andrew Wiggins. I think the problems for him coming out of Kansas, you know, whenever we look at any draft prospect, you go, hey, if it works out, it's going to be because it's elite athleticism. He'll develop more as a shooter. Um, you know, I remember thinking at some point with him, to even talking to teams, they go, at the very worst, you're going to get this elite defensive player because of his length, size, and athleticism. And for a very large, uh, large chunk of his career, he's been an incredibly disappointing defensive player. So, yeah, um, I don't know that his personality would have changed all of a sudden. I, I just don't. I mean, I'm sure other people would argue it, but I mean, this is, I think, what's so frustrating about him is that he should be a really consistently great basketball player. I'm not talking about like one of the all-time greats, but somebody that you depend upon as opposed to being surprised when he plays like this tonight. But I think that's his career. Yeah, and there's been a lot of guys like that over the years. And I think do you think do you think it'd be different for him if he started in Cleveland and it was just I do think sometimes, especially with basketball, that if you end up in a really good situation and you end up with the right person next to you, it can shift. I think your destiny can shift a little bit. I also believe that if you have the skill set and the personality that he had and you just go to the Minnesota wasteland and basically your one highlight was the year Jimmy Butler was there and all he did was MF you and your teammates for the entire year he was there and talk about what you guys didn't have. And then he leaves, he blows his way out of there. And there was a stigma to him. At the same time, you and I have talked about how frustrating he's been. I don't know how many times on this pod. He's the, he's the prototypical example of, I was at the game and I forgot you were out there. You know, oh, when we yeah, talked about yeah. the all-star team for that, it's like, whoa, you were out there for the whole third quarter? I didn't even notice. Think about, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead. But no, it's just, I think that's the been the frustrating thing about him. But at the same time, I do feel like until he got to Golden State, I would say his career was kind of a bad beat. It was the wrong type of guy to go, the wrong type of situation that he went to. And he was putting up stats. That's the thing. You go through like every year, he was like pretty much 17 to 22 points a year. And he was pretty durable. So I think from the Warriors making a bet that they could probably pull the best possible pieces out of him was a pretty smart bet. We've seen teams do that before with the high pedigree lottery guys, you know? Especially when you go to Golden State because your life's going to be that much easier. I remember talking to a team source about it and, you know, it was just a really simple basketball observation. This guy, with all the movement, with all of the freedom that you'll have because of all the attention that's going to be on Steph and then at the time what was thought to be prime clay and then Draymond's playmaking, like this is incredible. You're going to be what at at worst I guess with the most pressure on you you'd be the fourth most important player on the team and yeah. you know there's been moments where he might not even be the fifth most important player on this team depending on what Poole's done or you know so, certain moments like what Looney did in game two so yeah. I, I kind of always a lot of people disagree with me on this but I, I actually feel stronger and stronger about this as I get older because it applies to sports as much as it does to people like when somebody has a certain personality and then we ask, like, why would this guy do this? You're like, well, that's who he is. Like he does these things because this is who he is and these are the decisions that he makes. So whenever we talk about athletes and you'll be like, oh, I wonder why is like this. Like, yeah, some people just kind of have that personality. Like one of my least favorite comps that I'll ever hear is when people say, well, why can't you just build an offense for Ben Simmons like you did Giannis? And you're like, have you watched either of those players play? Do you understand anything about their personalities? Do you understand the gap between the way they see competition? 
Like, I don't yeah. care about the size and the skills and these things and the limitations both have from the outside. Giannis is a completely different person. His DNA, his mental makeup is completely different. Ben Simmons is never going to be that. So don't ask for it. And I... <laughs> like my yeah, guy maybe, Jabari Smith. <laughs> who? Jabari? My guy Jabari. I think he has it. You think he think has he ha- the personality for I it. do. I think he has the personality to be like, every year I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to keep working until I get to this point, until I add this. That's why I think he should be the number one pick. But I you're right about put the work in. The Wiggins part, like he had 24 a game one season. And yeah. it would always be like, you know, one season he came back, he hit like 37 from three for the first half of the season. You're like, oh, he's figuring it out. He's figuring it out. And then, you know, remember Doris Burke, who's really nice to players. Because when you have that gig, you kind of have to be positive all the time. The NBA doesn't yeah. want you dumping on players and dumping on I don't know product. if you have to call people by their first names, but I agree. Anyway, she called him out in a way that I was like, whoa. But I was I was proud of her because it was accurate. And it was, you know, it's it's almost like when Van Gundy every now and then, Jeff will kind of let somebody have it. I think it was a Cam Reddish. And you go, yeah. I wonder where this is coming from, you know? Mm. So some guys are just not wired the right way. And uh, I look at tonight as an awesome part of the story, but also a confirmation of how frustrating he is as a player because he should have been better. He reminds me, there's certain guys in, in the past who I think had more talent than whatever the final product was. And in some cases, they had issues off the court. You know, I think Kenny Anderson um, is a good example of that. But like big dog, Glenn Robinson, right? Who I, He was number one pick. He was a career 20.7 a game. He was basically a guaranteed 21-22 a game. Um, and, you know, it didn't seem like, he didn't seem like somebody who would be that awesome to play with. And then in the 2000, in the uh, 2001 playoffs with that Ray Allen team, you know, he would have moments and it was like, oh, this is big dog. This is like the guarantee too. But he could never, he just could never have the consistency to be very good. You know, he could do his one thing. He never really got better. He kind of was, I don't really feel like he evolved as a player over the years. Wiggins, the thing with him that I think has evolved is the, I didn't think the hoops IQ was there like this. Like to play on this team, this is like being, I don't know, like in one of those Chris Guest or like Curb Your Enthusiasm where it's like, if you're going to be on that show, you have to have some ad lib skills. That's good. You can't just be like, show me the cue cards and I'll just read what's on there. I studied that. Wait, why are you doing that? I wasn't prepared for this. You really have to be pretty fluent. And I think the way he's fit into that, I did not expect. I would have predicted that that would have been a real struggle for him. But he's a smarter basketball player than I thought. If you keep moving and you keep willing to pass, and you keep, like, if you buy in, and I I still can't imagine, like, I, I just, I always joke about it, but I would love to know how the isolation heavy non-movement guys if they ever watch tape of how Golden State runs their offense do they go why why do they why would they want to do that that's exhausting yeah, it's super, so much energy you're like wait a minute you pass it and then you run to the opposite corner that sucks wait, what if you don't you get you the find ball a back space you try to fill yeah. the space wait so you, you when everybody's outside the three point line you cut what, what what if you don't get it oh sometimes you don't even get it and you just cut to cut eh. no I don't want to do that I just stand in the corner uh so it's pretty I, you know, brilliant. No, look, I I think that there's um, some parts of him that are really impressive. That are really impressive. But you know, when he takes off, he had a baseline cut tonight where he didn't finish. Obviously, the one against Luca, which is going to be one of the best in-game playoff dunks we're going to see this season. Uh, it's it's fantastic, man. But there's also been some 
playoff things with him, we were like, why are you taking that shot in the, on this team? Like, there's been some late right. game shots the last couple of years. You're like, what? Are you, wait, like you thought you were the guy to take that? So the playing game last year, he did that. Exactly. Um, you know, like ch- they're sneaky tall guys, like Chuck Klosterman, sneaky tall guy. It's like six three. Really? Whoa. Tony Kornheiser. Yeah, Tony. There's certain guys you meet. I'm apparently a sneaky tall guy to some people. Some people out there think I'm like five eight. I'm six one and a half. No, um, I think people want you to be five eight. Same maybe. thing with me. People want yeah. me to be like five seven so bad. And they're like, oh, yeah, they want the talking heads guy to be tiny. Yeah. Um Wiggins is kind of it's as weird to say about a basketball player, but he's like a sneaky tall big guy that you kind of don't think like he's guarding Luca and he's the same size as Luca and physically can really hold up to him. And you, I just don't think of him in my head as like this six, eight physical guy. Cause that's in your head. You think he's more out of that, like six foot six prototypical shooting guard guy, but he's not, he's actually like a bigger dude than that. You know, it's a good point because when I think of him at his size, like I don't, I don't feel like he's that much bigger than bridges when I watch him on the court, but he is. And despite the Bridges defensive, like, I'm not going to look at that series and now think Mikel Bridges sucks on defense because he doesn't. Because he can no. play in the perimeter. I mean, the rim, the rim contest stuff that Bridges did the seasons. But it's clear that, like, Wiggins is more of, impediment, uh, more of an impediment than Bridges was. Like, Bridges just was not, he couldn't hold up. He wasn't he can physically. Yeah. yeah, he can physically keep his ground when Luca's doing that. LeBron thing when he's or give himself of, a chance, you know, yeah. just a, a ch- like Bridges felt like he was in an amusement park, like you know, with a ticket for a ride there. You know, another guy who was who was a little like what we're talking about. Rashid was a good example of Detroit buying pretty low on a guy with some real pedigree, but the Celtics getting Robert Parrish in 1981 is basically, you know, they trade back from one to three in the McHale trade. The Warriors want Joe Barry Carroll and like. Arbach just gets gets them to throw in Parrish. He has to throw in the 13th pick. And Parrish at that point, you know, had the rap of really talented, doesn't really give a shit, you know? And he's in this weird Golden State situation. The, I mean, Golden State was a mess in general. Comes to Boston and becomes this really valuable guy. He's the best version of one of these trades because he, and that's a good example where we're talking about the top. Sometimes you're just in the wrong situation. I don't think that's the only reason Wiggins was so frustrating in Minnesota, but I think it was a reason. Um, and I, I'm really impressed by him. And in, in the next series, if it ends up being the Celtics, they're going to need him because of Tatum. And if it ends up being Miami, they're going to need him because of Butler. And they're going to need, because Clay can't guard those guys anymore like that. And you really want Draymond like roaming around like he does and doing all that stuff. Um, now that part but, of it, man, that they have somebody, because remember we were trying to match it all out and you're like, well, how much Draymond are they going to use a Luka? Because you thought maybe they're just going to feel like they have to yeah. do it because, you know, you're always going to be looking for Steph. Poole doesn't play defense. No Gary Payton. You know, Clay, who has, I mean, look, athletically tonight, that's probably as good as we've seen him. You know, he's given us little yeah. glimpses at the end of the regular season, but it's not something where defensively you feel like you can hold up for a long amount of time, even though when he did get that switch with Luka late, he held up really well, stayed in front of him. But the Wiggins minutes where, you know, Luka's still scoring a million points, but that Wiggins allows you anything you know starting your offense a little bit later that it's not i mean he's still nobody's a match for luca at this point uh that's probably as important in this series to get to the 3-0 lead uh as anything offensively that wiggins has done really impressive win by them this is the spot it just has usually the makings of 
the road team is down 10 early and just can never get it going. Especially them, by the way, their personality is that of like, hey, we got these guys. Like they blew game two. They can't yeah. stop us. Um, but I mean, Golden State still lost the turnover battle. They only had 10 turnover turnovers tonight. The thing that continues to be like the the unsolvable part of this, well, there's a couple of things that are problematic for Dallas here, but the rebounding thing. It's plus 14 in rebounds again with these small lineups. Um, that that is when you're rebounding like that, and by the way, when Dallas can't make any shots outside of Luca and a couple guys here or there, you're not going to win any games. But I was uh, knowing this Warriors team pretty well over the last seven years. This would have been normally a spot where we're like, ah, we got these guys. Yeah. Well, and we we made it seem with all the Wiggins talk like he shut down Luca. He did not. Luca had forty points. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's no, limp for right, twenty three. Right. Got to the free throw line seventeen times. He had eleven rebounds. He just made Luca work for everything he had, and the fact that he could at least handle Luca for the most part, and Looney was involved too, and the fact that Draymond can then move around and do his stuff. I mean, the role guys on on Dallas, Dinwiddie was good tonight. He had twenty six, but the the Kleba series, oof, another another ship on by him. Three straight terrible games. He zero for five today, zero points. They were minus twelve when he was out there. This was a crucial guy for them in the last two series. And then, uh, you know, Bullock was 0 for 7. And uh, Bertans, you know, not that you can count on Bertans, but he didn't make anything either. But they just, it just feels like Golden State's 4 through 10 guys are just so much better than Dallas's 4 through 10 guys. That's what's swinging the series. And they're bringing fucking Moody off the bench. He's like an 11th man this season. And he's actually out there. He's like a legitimate 3 and D guy. That guy's going to be a starter. I watched him in a G League game. I was in El Segundo checking him out against yeah. uh, the Lakers. And, you know, you're watching that game. You're Why like, didn't you invite yeah. me to that one? I would have gone to that. Would you, you have? Action, El Segundo? <laughs> I think you could have talked me into that. Yeah. <laughs> I had courtside seats fantastic. and everything. I loved Jesus. it. I, I, I got to see the Mac McClung show up, up close. That's where I was able to lock in that interview. He's a tough guy to get. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this part of it. Uh, well, I don't know. You have a list of all the things you want to do, but I, I have a well, question Well, just last thing on Moody. Moody, you know, ironically, Wiggins is an expiring contract next year. And this might be the classic. They max him out as an asset during this playoff run and then try to figure out, can we use him and another piece, maybe Wiseman, um, and try to get another real guy. And then Moody gets the Wiggins minutes. Could he handle it? I think he could. Or Kamiga does. Scared out there, and Kamiga, some combo in there, but it's a really, really, really cool constructed team where they have this future that's far away, and then they have this present with some guys that are either you know I've talked about this before, but they're either tail end of their prime or a little past their prime. Usually that doesn't work in basketball, but it's it's working with this. What did you have? What did you want to ask me? Well, what do you think's gone wrong from a Dallas team that was kind of a sneaky pick for people here? Uh, you have to be incredibly impressed with what they did to Phoenix in game six and seven, especially with the way that series starts. So it felt like momentum-wise, like, can anybody do anything with Luka? Like, what do you think has been the biggest problem? 13, for, 40, 13 for 45 from three today? I mean, they, did, they didn't hit a three for a game and a half. That's what changed. And when they beat Phoenix, they were hitting threes, you know? And Phoenix... Who knows what happened in that game? I mean, there's conspiracy <laughs> theories flying now about just everything about those last couple of games. 
But I think it might have, I don't want to say it's a fluke, but I think it was just a weird moment that I'm not sure Dallas, Nat, the more we watch them, especially when you see them against a team that has the depth of Golden State, I, their lack of depth, it's kind of hard to believe they made the Final Four. It speaks to how great Luka was and how hot they got in that Phoenix series, you know? So I, I look at it that way. Like, I, I don't think the Phoenix series was a fluke, but I think just a bunch of events happened at the same time and Chris was really worn down and that Phoenix team got tight. They didn't really have the depth either and all of a sudden they were going on in the next round. But I thought they, I really thought they would put up a better battle on this. I thought they would win at least one of the first three. I'm, that one surprises me. The 3-0, I would not have predicted. I can't help but think about the ISO stuff, the high usage rate teams though. Yeah. Like back to my point that I did a couple months ago where this does not, work. I'm not saying it can never work, but it historically basically doesn't work. And you know, I thought when Golden State went zone, God, I don't understand why every team doesn't just come out of a timeout with a different defensive look. I love time. it. I would mix it up. Con- How about box and one? How great is it to see a box and one? I love box and one. So that's really funny, though, because Ali LaForce, who's awesome, uh, asks Jason Kidd, like, hey, how do you handle the zone? How do you handle the box and one? And I love when a basketball guy, like, because Jason Kidd's going to know way more about basketball than all of us, where he goes, actually, the box and one helped us because we got open looks in the corner. It was awesome. We just need to make them. Like, it didn't work. Okay. And I thought, all right, that was awesome. He wasn't, and he wasn't being, I don't think he was being a jerk to her. Yeah. But it was, oh my gosh, like, we got a sideline in-game interview where he gave us something real where it was like, yeah, I know we missed everything and it's going to say versus the box in one, this was how bad we were on offense. He was like, you know, it was great. We got everything wide open. Nobody made anything. I do wonder if you're a five out heavy team like Dallas, if box in one zone, like even if you get good looks, it, it just deadens you as a basketball player or as a team offensively. And I'm telling you, like there's moments and, you know, some of this is funny. Like, I'll, I'll go like, oh, you know, Golden State, these guys are front runners. Who has a good time losing a basketball game? Okay, I don't, I don't remember watching too many teams. Who are like, you know what? They lose a lot, but boy, are they engaged and having fun. All right? It's yeah, not, a lot it's of not something you actually see. But I wonder if you're so, like, usage heavy with Luka and you're five out and now it's like, okay, they got gimmicky defensively. Hey, you got to cut to the middle. You know, somebody's going to catch in the middle and then kick it back out, get it in and then get it out and, and make people think about what they're doing. I do wonder if a heavy, heavy, small five out team, when they face this gimmicky stuff, if it isn't like, oh, yeah, you did get open shots, but you guys offensively right now are just in a malaise. And that's yeah. what it felt like in that second quarter where I'm going. It's not that they can't get a good look. It's that they stopped playing basketball because they're just. They're like, wait, some of the stuff that we would normally do, the drive and kick stuff, like it's just not there because there's so many bodies in the lane. Well, they only had seven turnovers. They shot 34 free throw attempts. One of the issues was they, I just felt like anytime Golden State really wanted a bucket, they were getting it. And Curry, Curry's just, I don't think he's as good as he was in that 15, 16 stretch. I, you know, that was probably the peak of his powers, but he's pretty close and he really knows this team. And I got to say, we've talked about this before, but I, the Durant, the three years with Durant, it's such a bummer that Curry just didn't have his own team the whole time because this would be amazing if they made the finals with this team that they have. They don't have another all-NBA player, you know? And people would say, well, Draymond, it's like, well, not, not really. I, I don't think he's a top 15 player. He might be like top 25, top 30, but I mean... I, you know, and Clay is in the state he's in. 
pool has been kind of marginalized this series because Dallas has been hunting them. So Golden State's been very careful about playing him. But I, I was thinking about like, this would be Curry's six finals, right? He's one away now. Six finals is a real achievement. You're talking LeBron made 10, Kareem made 10, Russell made 12, uh, Kobe made seven, West made nine, Havlicek made eight, Magic made nine, Duncan made six, Jordan six, Shaq six, Wilt six, Kuzi seven, Elgin seven. Even Bird didn't make six finals. Even Dr. J didn't make six finals. You know, it's it's a short list of like, were you an awesome player? Did you make the finals? How many times did you make it? So six, especially with the fact that he's got this young core and if they, you know, if if they strike oil with Kamingo, like you and I think they might have down the road, like him two years from now, if that becomes like a pass the torch possible guy, he might, LeBron made 10 finals, Curry, the 10 finals might not be out of the question. Because they'll also spend the money too. And if they play this Wiggins-Wiseman thing, if that's the trade and bring one more star in, who knows? All right, I love this because I agree with you that the most absurd version of Steph may be gone, all right? But we definitely take him for granted. You know, he'll have 30 and then maybe he doesn't have the best fourth quarter and you're like, oh, and then he still has, but then he'll, he'll have like the next game, he'll have two of like the biggest like stake in the heart threes against yes. you and like those feel like they're worth more than three points because you're like he did it at the end everything. of the first half today which is oh it's like one of those he had the one in the corner we turned and looked at his bench as it was going through uh those mean more than three points to me I, re- I really believe that and you know you look at the memphis series you're like all right you know he's 42 and 33 percent like what's going on and then it's kind of i was reading a previous today and it was like you know he still hasn't really found his rhythm He's now 49 and 48% from overall in three. He's on 10 attempts. He's at 48% <laughs> and people are kind of like, yeah, I don't know. The biggest thing with him is that however he changed his body type. And I think it was him knowing what it was going to be like with clay being out and last season, like last season was set up for is Steph going to like a referendum on Steph and who he really is. And then maybe he's behind the top guys. And granted, it's not like that team, you know, they didn't even get out of the plane. So let's not get too crazy, but that team was bad. I thought he bulked up. I think his driving is the best it's ever been. Me too. Uh, it's, it certainly looks <laughs> against Dallas. <laughs> I mean, da- I don't want to use embarrassing because that's almost insulting, but it's, I mean, it, I'll just say it's pathetic how easy it is to get the rim against this team. It's its a joke. Like he, As soon as Golden State feels like there's anything coming, like, hey, you guys just want to get to the rim. And then they'd hunt Luca a little bit, and then they were doubling like crazy. And it was then, a little like, like Brooklyn, actually. Remember Boston just getting to the rim anytime they wanted against Brooklyn when they'd have those small guards out there. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. When Boston was good in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, Curry, just, just one of a kind, man. I, you know, and he needs this from. We always talk. I, I'm probably partly responsible for this, the, the legacy conversation, which seems to everybody seems to have to have all the time now. Um, something that we love to do on this thing. But it's a little different when you add that 22 finals, when you have the five in a row and Durant shows up for the last three. And if that had just been it, it would have been its own little era and it would have been special. But then to get back, like Havlicek, 74 and 76, brings the Celtics two more finals. Like near, near, a little past his prime, probably even a little more past his prime than Curry is this year. I, th- I, th- I still 
feel like Curry's in the tail end of his prime, but Havlicek gets these two extra titles after Russell. And it just changes how you would think of him historically. Like, I think he's one of the 15, he has to be on the list of the best 15 ever because of his durability and all things. But those last two really helped him. And I think with Curry, even making the finals this year, that's such like a, a coup for him when you look at this Warriors team, which is a really strange team. You know, and I think the West was was not what it used to be. I don't think there's any question. Well, it definitely um, isn't. You know, and I, like, I'll just jump in because I did this on my pod. And I know maybe, you know, I've just texted about it, but I had to kind of, and maybe way too late in the game when I was evaluating the top teams. And now this is without Phoenix too, because we looked at Phoenix with this profile of like, hey, you know, you realize like it's Phoenix and then it's everybody else because of all these different things that they've been doing. That didn't work out. But we had been spoiled with 10 plus years of teams where you're like, who's beating those guys? All right. Yeah. And then they, it was either the LeBron crew or Golden State and then it was LeBron going up against that crew and then getting one against them and then Durant coming into it. And then the Toronto thing's a little weird because of the clay and then Durant injuries. And then, you know, maybe we didn't look at the bubble, the Lakers, the bubble. And then yeah, that was Milwaukee, Milwaukee was new, but had Milwaukee gotten out of the East, which very well could have happened if they figure out a way to win game seven. You know, maybe Milwaukee would be in that conversation. But I know like Miami's a classic example of this. Like, am I comparing Miami to the rest of the East or am I comparing Miami to 10 years of thinking there's a scary team. And if the scary team doesn't exist, it means you have to almost be, you have to just change your perception of what a team's ceiling is when there isn't this, how the hell are we going to beat those guys out there? I'm going to add to what you just said. I think the scary team era is over. I think there's too much talent now. Part of the reason we had this imbalance in these scary teams was we just didn't have the same kind of talent. Like the 2017 Celtics made the conference finals with like Kelly Olynyk and Amir Johnson playing minutes. Avery Bradley, I think. Was, Avery, was Avery Bradley and all kinds of shit. Um, we just, there just wasn't enough talent to go around. There was some bad luck with injuries and stuff like that. I think the league's loaded now. And even you think about these playoffs where, you know, these teams feel like they're all pretty close to one another, but then you also had Denver who had had a ton of injuries. Uh, you had Memphis who loses jaw during the Warriors series. Who knows if it's different if that doesn't happen. You have the Clippers. They're not even in it. Um, I was saying, I was talking to a Laker fan about this. I was just like, I, you know, whatever you do with Westbrook, it's not going to matter. You guys don't have one of the, you guys will never be one of the 10 best teams next year. You might be, you might be able to win a series. You might be able to be scary for seven games, but there's, there's too much talent now. You can't just be like, Here's LeBron in year 20 and here's Davis and here's a bunch of, of role guys and we're ready to go toe-to-toe with some of these teams that we're seeing now. Golden State's going to be better next year, you know? And I don't know what's going to happen with Phoenix, but we know Denver's going to be better. We know Memphis will be better. You're going down the line, it's like the, the league's just going to be better. Boston's going to be either the same or better. Um, who knows with Brooklyn? But I think there's probably nine or 10 teams that, have a chance to make the finals next year. We'd never say that. When was the last time? It's usually like three, four, three, five, maybe. maybe. Yeah, right, right. Look, LeBron's eight in a row is an incredible feat and speaks to what a durable player he was and what a smart player he was to get out of the Miami situation in time and start a new situation right as that was falling. But the conference was pretty weak. And a lot of the threats that were popping up when you look back and you think like a team like Brooklyn with, with, uh, 
Williams and Joe Johnson and old KG and Pierce. Like we were thinking that team had a chance to win the East. And you put that team in 2022 and they're like a seven seed, you know? So I just think, I, I just think it's different now. I think there's too much talent. And by the way, this draft we have, the last draft we had was absolutely loaded, right? The 21 draft, just a shitload of talent. And the 22 draft looks like that one's going to be really good too. It's just every year there's just talent coming into the league. And, you know, so last year you have Cade, you have Mobley. Those guys, those guys have a chance to be in the finals someday. So over Green. and over again, they've been able to reinvent this young pool of talent. So, yeah. Um, any last Warriors thoughts before we talk about Celts Heat? I don't think so. I don't. You know, I, 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 I just can't believe how easy it is to get to the rim against these guys. I, it's just, it's, hey, we're in trouble. Oh, go to the rim. Bertans is down there. <laughs> go find Bertans. Steve Kerr, by the way, three titles with the Bulls. He won with San Antonio, so he finished his career with four as a player. Five straight finals with Golden State, wins three. So he's got seven rings. This would be his 10th final strip. It's pretty good. I mean, Riley and Phil Jackson have more, but that's, you're getting a double, double figures of, oh yeah, I'm either playing or coaching in the finals. Not bad. All right, we're going to talk about uh, Celts Heat in one second. Let's take a break. Go yard all summer long with $5 Dinger Tuesdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. This season, all customers will get $5 for every home run hit by both teams when you place a $25 to hit home run rager on Tuesdays baseball games. And the best part of Dinger Tuesdays is even if your bet loses, FanDuel will pay you $5 for every home run. I would think about riding Trevor Story, who's been red hot for the Red Sox out of nowhere. He seems happy. He's just got a different vibe about him. The Red Sox are a little hot right now, five in a row. Think about him. Think about Aaron Judge against the uh, Orioles because Judge has been hot too. There's no better place to bet America's pastime than America's number one sportsbook. Head over to your FanDuel account or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up using promo code BS to pick your home run hitter. That is promo code BS. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max bonus $25. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117. For confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800-GAMBER.net. All right, let's talk Celtics heat. I am in Boston and I went to um, game three. It was a really weird game. These, these late East Coast start games just have a weird vibe the whole time. That game didn't start to like 840 and it just feels like anything can happen. The crowd's sauced up. Um, the body clocks are all weird. And Miami comes out and they immediately turn it into a prison football game. And it worked and it was really smart and the Celtics couldn't handle it. And it was one of those things where it was like, for two minutes, they were super physical to see if the refs were going to call it and they didn't. And then that was it. That became the game. And you could see the Celtics in real time. Like they're looking around. They're like little kids looking around at the refs, looking at the coach, like what's going on? 
Bam was the MVP of the game, but PJ Tucker was kind of the spiritual MVP of the game. He was incredible. And he just took Tatum out. That was the worst game I've ever seen Tatum have in person. And it was just really smart. I don't know if Miami has a better team, but they're tough, they're playoff proven, and they're smart. And they stole that game when Jimmy Butler only played one half. And as a Celtics fan, I'm concerned. So I'm going to start there. Okay, I have a million thoughts, but you were there. So let's let's just keep, maybe I'll just interview you here for a little bit. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You take, you, take the, you take the Jim Nance reins. They played a clip of Jalen Brown going, let's be ready, like before the tip. They're like, they're going to come out. Let's punch them first. And then it's 20 to six. Yeah. You knew I, it. You knew it in 30 seconds. My dad and I, we just looked at each other and it was, you just knew. You could feel it. Okay, but the weird thing is they still, through all of that, got it to one point in the fourth quarter. I felt like the Celtics lost it three different times. Bam yes. and the defense for Miami is the story. Bam was, I think, over a half a point better points per possession than he was in game two. He initiated a ton of the offense. But as you're sitting there feeling like, oh, okay, this is over, but they're coming back. No, it's over. That third quarter's wild. You're still down 15, just like you were at the half. And then you get it to one. Smart comes back. Tatum comes back. What what was the the roller coaster like in that building? Because the way you're talking now, it's like as if, but it's still ridiculous to think they still had a chance to win that game. Never gave up just because Miami just can go in these funks offensively. And once the Celtics kind of figured out the BAM thing, hey, look, the easiest player prop of all time was BAM over for points in game three because he was just invisible in the first two games and he kills the Celtics. So they fixed it. They put him in space. They were doing like different drops of them. And the Celtics defensively were screwing it up and they kept either messing up his rim roll or just messing up, like allowing him to shoot the 18 footers. So they did solve it in the second half. And then no Butler hero just was off. There was a point they hit, like they were like seven for nine for three to start the game. And then all of a sudden they were like nine for 27. And my dad, he always like looks at the stats on the right. He's like, they stopped making shots like two quarters ago. We can get this. But offensively, the Celtics can't dribble certain games. Yesterday was the all-time, like, I'm going to be bouncing my grandkids on my lap 40 years from now. I'll be like, Grandpa, why didn't the Celtics win the 2022 title? And I'm going to say, we couldn't fucking dribble half the time. They <laughs> say games where we just dribble right to, and the ball goes right to the other team. And Miami took advantage of that. They were super physical, a lot of pressure. And they were just kind of diving at Jalen. I mean, how many have you ever seen a guy get picked more times in a game where he also had 40 points? That that was that was some sort of bizarre, all over the place, like momentous game by him. He made some huge shots. He had, I think, eight turnovers, seven turnovers. There's so many different things that went on in this game. I mean, I could just go on and on, and I know that people are gonna look at it as like, well, you know, you were at the game and you know, we're both Boston guys. Um but at one point, and it, this is a really good stat. You're right. Miami started seven to nine for three. Boston started one to seven. So you're like, yeah. okay, this, this, what the hell's going on? At With the some end turnovers. of the game, by the way, do you realize at the end of the game, Boston finished 12 of 32 at over 37% from three. Miami was 11 of 33, 33%. So you're going, oh, wait a minute. How did that happen? The so they were four throw, of their last 24 from three, Miami. The free throw disparity was insane how much it favored Boston. And I would tell you, I felt like Boston was getting every 50-50 call in the second half of this one. You may mm. disagree. But when you look down and go, wait, it's 15-1 to 1 in steals 
in the third quarter, the points off a turnover differential is like 20 points. So I always point this out. Like you can look at different things and be like, well, how did this happen if that happened? Well, that means something else probably happened. The turnover situation for this team, some of it is Miami, but it's not all Miami. Jalen Brown can't dribble. I, I can. I, has he always been this bad? And then he's kind of the, like Tatum was terrible. He had three passes that are completely unacceptable for a regular season game for anybody that's played yeah. more than two years. But Jalen had a stretch in the third where he had five. He tried to split a double, no chance. Oladipo, he handed it off to him like he was a running back twice. He had another time where he was dribbling down the right side and he dribbled into Bam's help and tried to go up. Like Jalen, I think, has these moments where he drives where if he has the advantage, you're going, oh, keep driving. But if he doesn't have the advantage and he has to go into traffic, it's almost like he has no chance. And Miami just starts drooling, being like, oh, you're actually going to try to dribble into traffic with us? See ya. Every time I felt like I looked up every other possession, you're like, I can't believe that's how the possession ended. So I guess you could do a bunch of different versions of this and say, well, if Boston doesn't do this or they don't do that or whatever, and that's what I'd be thinking about of the turnovers. But there's clearly something with Miami and the guys like P.J. Tucker and Lowry types who I think are more valuable than we give them credit for and why tough teams, smart teams want to go ahead and grab these guys because pride and effort fixes a lot of problems. And I think that's what happened in the start of game three. I felt like they came out, whatever, and even the pregame warmups and like, I, whether we win or lose, we're going to be tougher than these guys. And that was their whole mindset the whole time. And Tucker was a big piece of it. And, you know, Ben Thompson, Bucks fan, still upset that they let Tucker go. And if you do the research on it, it seems like he wanted to go back to Milwaukee and they kind of insulted him. They said, you know, go, go out, get an offer and we'll match it instead of just saying what we'll take to bring you back. And I don't know, man, the, the toughness that he brought to that game yesterday, dude's 37. It's the fifth oldest guy in the league, unless you count Udonis Haslam. Do you know who's older than him? Millsap, uh, LeBron, Carmelo, and I think CP3. And he didn't look like the fifth oldest guy in the league yesterday and was right in Tatum. All he wanted to do was mess with Tatum. And I'm sure the TV couldn't pick up some of it, but he was like mauling him. I'm telling you, he was mauling him all over the floor and they weren't calling it. So that's what he should do. If you're not going to call this, I'm going to keep doing it. And it was like a much worse version of what the Celtics did to Durant because they were really physical with Durant. This was different. He, he was like trying to break Tatum and I felt like he kind of did. Inman's biggest mistake was bringing Tatum back with five minutes left after when he hurt his shoulder or three minutes left, whatever that was. He missed, I, think the two, ball. I think it was, he missed two minutes of game time. It was, it was pretty short. So and then you he know, came just, back right. in, the, in the final five minutes, but he didn't want the ball when he came back and he had kind of the deer in the headlights look and I, I just don't think he was right. I, I don't think they should have brought him back. Okay, do you seriously think that any coach would ever say to Tatum, no, nah, just sit this one out? He wasn't right. He wasn't. He'd been, he'd been so bad before. You can't tell that player at that level, that kind of stature, you can't tell him he can't go back in the game. Well, he really hurt them because they were playing four and five with him in the final three minutes. And as you said, there's three different times in this game where it was like, wow, the Celtics are actually going to try to come back here. The biggest one was, was uh, well, the first one was near the end of the first half. They all of a sudden go on like a double-digit run. And it goes from like 26 to a pretty manageable 15 or 13, whatever it was. So at halftime, everybody's like, all right, how are we in this game? It was one of those. Then when Smart went out, same thing. Energy, he's screaming. Everyone's on Twitter trying to see the replay of what happened. I mean, so the, the phones have totally changed this stuff. You're just looking and or you're texting or you're texting somebody who's watching from home. 
So we all thought he was done because they showed the replay and it looked like he broke his ankle. So when he came back in, it was like a Willis Reed thing. I don't know if that if that was on the TV, but the, the place like exploded. They went crazy. And then he came in, he hit the three, timeout. And we're like, all right, we're going to win. And then Miami did it again. Miami was just so fucking tough. Every time they needed to like kind of stem the tide, they did it. Last five minutes, they couldn't. No Butler, no Hero. They couldn't score. Celtics scored 12 straight, cut it to one. It looked like Smart stripped Old Depot and knocked it off Old Depot. They called Miami ball. And then Miami ran that play for Struess. That was a really good play. Did you watch the replay of that play? Was yeah, it was also a deep. It was it was a hell of a shot too. On it was top a hell of, of a out. shot. Right. It was they they set a double pick for him. Grant chased it, but Struess was like he had to move, and he was like two three feet behind the line. It was like I had a direct line for him on that shot. So he makes that Celtics turning over, don't even get a shot, and then Bam just hits a freaking lucky twenty footer. I mean, and that was the game. Where it's end of the shot clock, he has to just chuck it up. It goes in. Um, that was when I was like, oh my god, we lost. But the whole vibe was weird. The game had like a great energy to it. The crowd really wanted to get into it. And every time they had a chance, it was deafening. When Jalen hit that three to cut it to one, it was like game seven, last two minutes loud. It was everybody just standing, screaming as loud as they possibly could. Fucking Struess just nonplussed. Just <laughs> traded the biggest shot of the game. People were standing and screaming and it didn't matter. So if I'm Miami, I'm like, wow, we're up 2-1. Boston looks tired. Boston had that long Milwaukee series. And then we go right into this one every other day. And Tatum, you know, I'm not making excuses for him because he's younger than, you know, most of the key Miami guys. But he just looked, he looked worn out yesterday. And now they're still playing every other day. And if I'm Miami, I'm thinking, we might be able to break these guys. They're better than us, but we're, we might be tougher than them. So that's going to be the challenge. And then Rob not playing was a murder. You know, and there there's... It seems like it's a little like the KG 2009, a little in his head thing with the knee soreness where it's like there, because I think he's basically could play if he wanted to. And he, I think he just doesn't trust the knee because he played game two. And then I think he was a pretty late scratch yesterday and now it's game to game again. But I think he's cleared to play. It's a big difference with Bam because it's just another guy out there. The Tice on off the court stuff is really bad. Uh, I, I he was still mi think minus nineteen and eight minutes in the first half yesterday. That's right. And then your your guy Derek White. You want to talk about oh. not wanting to be out there? And I know oh. you know he just went through the birth of a child, so I don't know. But like there was a play late in the game, Bill, where it was a rebound and they were handing it off to White to start transition and he wasn't ready to dribble. He kind of yeah. traveled and they didn't call it because it's like a weird spot that no one really calls that travel. He just wasn't really ready and kind of like didn't want the ball and was like, oh, I better dribble. And they didn't call it. And then he got rid of it. And you're like, oh, wow, he played 14 minutes. I thought Spo did a really good job too. Like He was hey, great. Let's. They had Duncan and Hero in at the same time. So you're thinking, okay, attack time. Uh, they went small where they had PJ out there uh, a couple different times, but then they went zone when they had Hero and, and Duncan out there, and then they took Duncan out, and then they just kind of abandoned all of it. Duncan, I don't even think played more than the four minutes. He was terrible. Yeah, Hero he in the headlights. Hero missed everything, and then he only played twenty minutes. And then even though Oladipo isn't really a guy offensively that you're scared of, you know, I I'd say he locked up Jalen, and that's what the stats tell you. I'm sure that ISO'd possessions Vic against uh, Brown would heavily favor Oladipo. Part of it's Oladipo being active and just a better athlete than the other options, um, but some of it too. I just cannot 
understand how Brown can look so good on some drives, but it's like you, if he has to experiment like two plus dribbles, it's, it's tough. And we're talking about a guy who basically offensively carried them. So the Strew shot was the biggest shot. And by the way, too, like you're, you're tracking at that point, it's a one point game. Um, two minutes tur- left. Turnover, 96 92. It's 27 to nine in points off turnovers, favoring Miami, obviously. A shot clock violation. The BAM shot you talked about, they're up for. Tatum, awful pass. And then smart fouls where they shouldn't have they're fouled. Up six. It, the game was uh, over when BAM made that. When they yeah, went up but six, it, that but was it a wasn't. Wrap. I mean, it, it felt like it, but it still the wasn't. The energy went out. Yeah. It's, they, Struce, they were attacking him. Anytime they could get Jalen against Struce, he was he was beating him. And Old Depot, who I think is in the running for a weirdest career of the last twelve years. <laughs> what other nominees are we talking about? Well, the the guy he's Birdman drafted in Orlando, plays point guard the first year, was not a point guard, has this weird Orlando stretch, ends up in OKC as Westbrook's sidekick that one year. Nobody has any idea if he's any good. Then gets traded in the Paul George trade. All of a sudden, turns into like a legitimate star. Star. Like there he was had a like, stretch there. He was unbelievable. Go ahead. You would have said he was what, one of the best 10, 12 guys in the league. And it was like, wow, this guy, has Indiana been able to keep him? Is this, could he be going to Miami in two years? Could he be their next guy? And then he gets hurt. He ends up in that stupid uh, Harden trade, goes to Houston. It seems like Houston wants to keep him. And he he's in the trade instead of Levert. They could have kept Levert. Instead, they pick Old Depot, and then they basically dump him to Miami. And then he gets hurt. And then he was basically benched for most of the season. He didn't play in the first half yesterday. He was a DMP first half. Butler go, Butler just doesn't come out of the locker room. We don't know what's going on. And I'm just knowing Butler's history. I'm like, he must have like gotten in a fight with somebody in the locker room. How, how is he not out? Old Depot starting? What's going on? Old Depot plays 20 minutes in the second half. Zero minutes first half, 20 minutes second half. And he's reinvented himself as this like Lindsey Hunter crazy defensive player who can't shoot. But this was a guy who averaged, what, 25 points a game one year? And now he's offensively inept, but is a maniac on defense, which is kind of what they need. Yeah, well, he was when he was right, and he was with the Pacers. That's the peak of him. And I remember, I don't know, first half of that season, going, "This guy is like all NBA running here, and it's not going to be a fluke." He was, his, he felt like Mitchell. He was in the Mitchell kind of that kind of player. It felt like, right? He felt yeah. like a potential twenty-four to twenty-five point a game guy who could be the best scorer on a good playoff team. But having Lowry. And then having Oladipo and then not having Butler in the second half and still winning that game. But like I said, there's a million different stats that kind of, you're like, well, what? that doesn't make any sense or that's pretty extreme or that favors one team this way or the other way. It's a lot like the no smart Pritchard moments in game one where mm. you go, okay, well, if smart's back, you don't have Pritchard initiating your offense. You don't have him getting picked and hunted all the time. That's 30 minutes of Pritchard feeling like he has to do way more that gets replaced by smart. And just having Oladipo as an option, even though I felt at time announcers really want to build it up like, hey, you know, don't forget Victor Oladipo's coming off the bench. We're like, okay, but what version of it? Because athletically, it hasn't been the same for a long time. These have been pretty significant injuries, but just having it as an option. And then clearly the Lowry part of it, too, to pull that off, to be to blow the lead or however you want to phrase it. To get it down to one, to be on the road in one of the buildings that's never going to give up because you got older guys that have all. There's something else with Boston that I don't think I give it enough credit for. Half of that building is filled with guys that watch games in the '80s that still expect that everything's still going to work out, right? right? It's you true. know, you can I feel mean, it. it's it's yeah. it's it's unlike 
any other city except for probably Los Angeles, you know, any other city that goes, well, they'll, they'll figure this out and they'll pull it out. And I'm going, then when they were, when they got it to one and Jalen hit that three, I go, they're going to win this game. I go, hell, if they stop handing the ball off every other possession, they can win this game. It would have been a horrific um, loss for Miami. All time, all oh time loss, but, but also like an all time win now, which makes you question things because to win that without Butler, because everybody makes or anyone that's good makes a run. Uh, I can argue all sorts of angles on this one. I can say there's no way Boston's going to do that again. Look at Tatum's history in game five when they lost to the Bucs. He was two for 11. He ended up with a ton of points because he, excuse me, two, two 11 from three. He took 29 shots. Yeah. He was inefficient. Didn't feel like a great game. Comes back, plays one of the greatest games he's ever going to play with 46 in game six. Does Tatum do like we saw in the beginning of that Milwaukee series? Like, wait, Wesley Matthews is going to own you in game one? You're 6 right. 18 in game one? And then guess what? Tatum responded. So, you know, we keep updating who... Tatum is legacy wise probably far too often but the other part of this series that's worth pointing out which can also be interesting and, and slightly irrelevant Boston's only lost two of the 12 quarters and they're down 2-1 and there's a chance they're going to lose this like it's even though I think Boston is better and there's no Rob I don't like it doesn't feel like this oh my it's not Dallas getting past Phoenix if Miami beats Boston you know what it felt like you'll appreciate this remember that uh that 2002 to 2004 stretch where, where the Celtics played in some of the most brutal games that have ever happened. What was that one game? It was like 67-66 was the final against Detroit. Um, where it was just, it was just rugby crossed with football, crossed with a rock fight, and just super duper 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 physical. And it got so physical that they ended up changing the rules. It feels like that physicality is back this year in some of these, some of these games. And you can really muck it up. The difference is everybody's taking way more threes now. So the scores can still get into the hundreds because of the threes. I think the shot making is probably better than it was in the early 2000s. There's more talent. Yeah. But man, that that's, I'm telling you, it was as physical as that game five I went to against Milwaukee and that game I went to yesterday. As physical as I've seen other than like finals games when, you know, like game seven, 2010, where they're just like, you know, we're not calling really anything. Um, really physical. And that's, I think, a real advantage for Miami. Because that's a, a physical team. They're not really that skilled offensively. The Celtics will figure out the band thing. So now it's going to be more on Lowry and more on whatever they get from Butler. And the chemistry is a little weird with them too. Like the fact that I didn't know what happened at halftime with Butler. I think that got like just my instinct was that he must have gotten in like an altercation with Udonis Hasm over that he was hurt. Um, you know, it's, it's just been a really weird season for them. And yet somehow they're six wins away from the title. I'm going to say it again one more time with PJ Tucker and guys like that. I think when a smart team like Miami goes, hey, we want, no, we want PJ Tucker. We should all yeah. give them more of the benefit of the doubt than the times where it looks like PJ, you're like, can this guy really make a shot? Yeah, he kind of can. I mean, Tice, as bad as it's been on the plus minus, I thought there were some times where it was just really hard for him to try to help and then chase a guy like PJ Tucker back to the corner or get caught yeah. in some sort of switch where he he's, challenged PJ's Hero. better at that. He's better at like sliding around the court than I think he used to be. I found Houston, he just stood in the corner. You need the some way fighters, Miami, man. Miami uses him in a much more fun way. Like he's setting picks and jumping off and he's just a little more involved. Yeah, so when you think PJ, Bam, Butler, Lowry, Spo, you know, and we all non-Heat fans roll their eyes constantly about Heat culture, but there's something to be said about a team full of fighters. Uh, and... I think that's exactly exactly what we saw in game two. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to be shocked if Boston puts it on them in game four and we're sitting here 2-2 wondering well, how this thing's going to end. And the Celtics, I think, 
I'm not saying they're not a tough team because I think they've been really tough and really resilient. And that win in Milwaukee game six proved their toughness to me. Yes. Yeah. I think last night they seemed a little tired and they seemed unprepared for just how physical Miami is going to be. And they'll be more prepared in game four. It's interesting though. Smart limps back in. He wasn't coming out, right? And then Tatum, same thing, has a stinger and comes out. And then Rob, who didn't play and then wasn't on the bench either. He's been, he was at the bench in the games where he was hurt. And part of me felt like, were those guys trying to tell him, look at us, we're out here. You're not. You're a big bench positioning guy, I've noticed, this playoffs. Do no, Rob Williams, he wasn't, wasn't on there. Butler never okay. came out for the second half. He, he never you really sat thought- on the bench second half. Even with Butler's history, you thought maybe he went AWOL in game three of a playoff series in the Eastern Conference Finals? I, he just didn't come out. Like, what, what, what? I didn't know what to think. He played the whole first half. Didn't seem like he was hurt. I watched the first half. I was there. Like, he didn't see, he seemed fine. And then he just was never seen again. So I was like, hmm. Uh, quickly on PJ Tucker, I was doing some PJ Tucker research today because somebody had to do it. 35th pick in 2006 played two-thirds of a season in Toronto and was waived so they could create a roster spot for Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson, if he'd ever stayed healthy. Spends five years in Israel, Ukraine, Greece, Italy, Germany. Won the Israeli MVP in 2008 and the finals MVP. Won the Germany finals MVP in 2012. Comes back four and a half years in Phoenix. Kind of reinvents himself as a role player. Guess who notices? The smart teams. Toronto trades for him at the trade deadline. Gives up nothing. Two seconds. He plays on the 2017 team that Cleveland waxed. Daryl signs him. Summer 2017. His playoff numbers, he, here are his splits in 18 and 19. 48-47-67 and 48-46-83. He was really good, at least like, like for what he's supposed to be doing those two years playing like 38.7 minutes a game in 2019. In game seven, 2018, he went two for five from three. Everyone else went five for 39. 2020 bubble, they lose. Goes to, uh, goes to Milwaukee in the playoffs last year and kind of looked like he was on his way out. Remember we were talking about him? Like, this guy's kind of washed. 32% from three, 38% overall, played 30 minutes a game for them. Averaged like a four and five in the playoffs. and seemed like he was on his way out. He seems like this is the best we've seen in like four years from him, right? He's 37. He's still going. I liked him in Phoenix. I, I'm telling you. And I, I know he too. told, I know he told JJ Reddick that story about how like when he was with Toronto at the end of the season, they sat him down and showed him video of his body language on the bench. And he was just the worst. And I think he plays like a guy if he's in your friend group and he'd have arguments where like if you were arguing like, hey, Wolverine could kill the Hulk. And he'd be like, absolutely not. And he'd get so mad, he would have to go outside and smoke a cigarette for like 30 minutes, like one of those <laughs> right. friends. Settle, um, settle down, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Bob? Like, Bob's outside. He just kicked over a garbage can. <laughs> but there's some real value in, in having that kind of guy. Because I remember you and I talking about him last year, and I thought it was a really good point that you made. You go, you know, PJ's brought in to be this Durant stopper, and Durant's getting like 45 a game. So what is he yeah. actually doing? And you don't really feel like you have to defend him on offense. But... You know, the, the metrics, I think, for the playoffs would tell you that P.J., it's not, the numbers aren't nearly as impactful as somebody like that that would rather die than lose. And yeah. you need a he's, couple he's guys like that. He's just such an alpha, man. He, yeah. he The way he cares, there's some good YouTube clips of him just getting in arguments with people. Remember he punched Blake that time? Him and Blake were on the floor and he 
they end up tangled up and he just just kind of gave him a quick one, right, quick right him, get, look, him <laughs> getting pissed at Grant, I enjoy as much as anything going on in this series. Oh, yeah. Because the, the Grant is not the only one that does it. Lowry does it. Chris Paul does it. And I hate everyone that does it. The run to grab the ball out of the opponent's hands who's still holding it after the turnover. When, by the way, the ball still has to be checked by the ref and the ref's not going to yeah. give it to you in that he's not going to let you run as fast as you want to so everybody right. does this thing to be a shithead as if it's some sort of advantage and it's never an advantage because even when you get it back the ref has to check it for you so you never go as quick as and i think everybody knows this and pj getting mad at grant about it actually makes me laugh so there you go i uh let's take a break because i have some grant williams material for you This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? At first half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, so that was my fourth playoff game with the Celtics that I've been to. And yeah, what's your said, record right now? Oh, it's tough. I, You know, I blame myself because the last two games, I bought a Coke. I never drink Coke, but I just wanted the caffeine. And we're 0-2, so I'm not doing that again. So I, I feel a little responsible. I never drink Coke, and I just act like you've been there before, Simmons. That's what I was telling myself. Are, are you on the fence about going to game four? No, I'm going. I'm, okay. I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, the line um, moves. My dad, <laughs> the line might move. You know, my dad has set seats for 49 years. His seats are unbelievable. We're on, on the aisle, we're right behind the bench, like even with the three-point line. So Amy is right in front of us. That's like where he stands. If you gave me like a hundred to one odds that he's going to punch Grant over the next five years during a game, I would take them. <laughs> and I might even take them at 75 to one. Yeah. Grant is 100. so annoying. Hey, you can't, you can't, my dad who never gets annoyed by anybody was like, God, why is he so annoying? Like, he's just like the little hyperactive fourth grader in class who's just scampering around. There was one point he was on the bench. He wasn't even playing. And Marcus Smart came over to talk to Imes in the first half about defensive stuff. And Grant just comes over and like joins the conversation is telling Marcus what to do. And both of them just kind of turned and they were like, what the fuck are you doing here? You're not even in the game. You have a towel on. Um, I just think that's the energy he brings, which is also like amazingly helpful when you're a basketball player. But he is, I think he's replaced Blake as the most annoyed, the most, the guy who annoys everyone else the most in the league, I think, is Grant. Like my PJ Tucker is definitely gonna get a flagrant on him at some point during the series. He's had enough already. Three games. He's like, I'm done with this guy. Bam's annoyed by him. Um, he's just he's talking. I think he thinks he's the leader of the team, which maybe he is to some degree, but he's also, what is he, 23 years old, 24 years old? I don't old? think the rest of the team thinks he's the leader of the team, <laughs> is my problem. <laughs> I love it. This, By the way, I'm not slamming him, but just like sometimes you need guys like this on your team, you know, and, and he is just this high energy. Just, he's always going. He's wound up. 
<laughs> I've already said funny. enough grants. I did my grant thing last week, so I'm just going to stop because I, I respect the hell out of who he is and who he's become as a player. Did a nice job against Bam. He yesterday. does. He gets, and yeah. I think that's the thing with Bam is you got to be in onto him immediately. Like you have to be in on him, you know, and I, I think that'll be a small little thing. You know, it's not like I'm some brilliant adjustment guy here, but you go, hey, be ready for the Bam stuff. And maybe he, maybe Bam, you know, rope doped you a little bit. Um, and maybe Kyle's better at getting Bam in better position. And then that's, I think, one of the great assets of having a Kyle Lowry is that he's okay letting other guys eat for long stretches, but he also knows yeah. when they need a shot and something easy, Lowry's good enough to to get you something. And I don't know if that's what made Bam better. I don't know if it was Bam. No, you know, so like, there's one other thing. And, and Bob Volgaris tipped me off to this because when it was, came out, Kyle was playing. He really pushed the pace in that first quarter. Yeah. As soon as they're a little like the Celtics, as soon as they slow down, I think it's a lot harder for them to score. They that first quarter, especially Kyle was like really going. And by the way, he's I wouldn't say he's in phenomenal shape these days. No, I, know, like, I thought it comes across on TV, but he's like as chunky as I think I've ever seen him. But he was still pushing the pace and he was stayed in shape the whole game. There is nothing better. Like I'll never understand why anyone would want to play basketball any differently. Push for advantages. And if it's not there, come back out, then you can run your half court. To wait to run your half court when you have a chance to push. And I, I do think that that's White a real this. skill. Can you text him? Text Eric White right now and just tell him. That, that was Ime's big... Ime made two mistakes. And one, I think you're right. It would have been weird to just not play Tatum if Tatum could go out there. But I Tatum just wasn't right. He buried Pritchard in the second half. And I thought Pritchard... If you're making a list of guys who weren't afraid to be in that game yesterday, Pritchard is on that list. He was like ready to go. He was barking with Hero. I think, I think he's been effective in this series. And I just would have played him over White. I think they were worried about him getting hunted on the other end. But once Butler was out of there, who were they going to hunt Pritchard with? If anything, that that should have meant he should have played more. I didn't, I didn't love that. Um, the uh, the schedule thing. I do think it's crazy that they do it this way this every other day thing for both teams. I'm surprised. I think it's, I think we could by, if this series goes seven, by the time we get to these seven game, I think the both of these teams could be luggage. You know, they play, Celtics played Friday night. They played 3.30 Sunday. They played Tuesday, Thursday in Miami. They played last night. They're playing Monday. The six, the heat went six against the Sixers, but I just don't understand why they don't have a couple off days in there just for the quality of the product. You know, I know it's I know they're trying to stay relevant every game, but I I think it's a mistake by them. It is weird from how we grew up with it, you know, the two different versions of it and then how Stern would stagger it sometimes where he was like, I want Thursday, Saturday, Sundays, you know, and you'd be like, wait, how many days are off? And some of these remember how much time off there was in some of those series. These Um, games are too physical. I I'm like continue to be just shocked by how physical and intense these games are for four quarters now. You know, in the old days, you could watch you could watch, go on YouTube, watch anything from the 70s and 80s. It really got intense maybe the last quarter. But for the most part, it wasn't like that. These guys are just getting leveled. The Celtics had, I mean, we had three guys got hurt in the game yesterday. Smart, Tatum, Butler. And Hero, I guess, got hurt too. Four guys got hurt yesterday. I don't I don't know. I, if I noticed an accident. I noticed when I said I felt like the Celtics got every 50-50 call in the second half that you didn't emphatically agree. I didn't. It did. I normally I would admit, I people are gonna laugh, but I really would. I was like, man, we we're getting calls too. 
But I thought Miami, I thought everybody on their team could have fouled out the way the what they were doing. And also, you know, on offense, they were taking a lot of shots and a lot, a lot of uh, outside shots. They were taking threes. They were taking like foul line jumpers, a lot of ISO stuff with Bam. Um, and I, I just didn't feel like they were initiating contact offensively in that way. Because Butler, they also didn't have the Butler piece. Butler's usually, what, 10 to 15 free throws a game? And... You know, he didn't play second half. Honestly, I, I thought even in the in the first half when Butler was playing, I noticed a better awareness of like, hey, don't go up with this guy. You know, stay right. home His a little bit more yeah. because he's he's just very good at it. But I'll I'll back you up on the Milwaukee thing because when my father left Game Five and he called me, he goes, I can't believe how physical that game was. He goes, I was I was exhausted watching it. So there is something to this, it is. and there's there's another part of it, and I don't know. I you know I I don't think it's this series. I don't think it's just Boston Milwaukee. The chaos, the bodies around the rim when the ball is up in the air. If you watch that, if you spend time watching, like how smart down, hurt. it's like four guys being ejected from a car yeah. at the end of some of these possessions. And then you're just like, whoever's left up will just start going the other way. And I don't know how you could ever call that because everybody being the bonus three minutes into the quarter. How about when Tatum was down, the Celtics somehow got a stop bring it back down. Tatum's still lying on the ground and Grant shoots a three. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's my teammate. I'm going to shoot a three anyway. Yeah, I at one point I looked at the box score on my phone because I was like, what are the fouls? It feels like Miami should have more fouls. And I looked and we had a 27 to five free throw advantage. Yes. It did not feel that way in the room. I think it evened out a little more after that. Uh, another weird thing about the game, and this this ties into what was happening with, the, with Dallas and them getting fined, but the Heat are wearing their white warm-up tops on the side. They're all standing, but the white Celtics are wearing their white uniforms. And it's this is like this new thing I think teams are doing. You know, you look at that, what what Dallas got fined for, where two of their guys just had white outfits that weren't playing. And Curry in the game two, he threw, or game one or game two, he threw the ball to one of the guys who had his hand up wearing white, but what was was a bystander. So it's like teams are definitely, they're on, I'll be interested to say, if Stern would have hated this, he would have lost his mind. He would have fined them a million dollars for game two. This is a whole topic that we could do. Um, and Curry is fully capable of throwing it to nobody on any right. possession, uh, to be fair to our boy Steph. But what has happened with the ends of these benches? That's going to be the worst seat in sports. I remember Awful. the old days back where Fenway would have the obstructed view chair or yeah. one chair in front of a massive support beam and some guy would show up who thought like, hey, I'm just going to buy a single ticket and watch some O's socks here on a Sunday afternoon and yeah. he'd have a two-foot iron beam right in his face <laughs> and he'd be sitting there double-fisting Bud Lights going, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's the guy <laughs> leaning the past the post. <laughs> right. Just you're You're bobbing and weaving just to see pitches. To have a seat now in an NBA arena in that lower corner by the tunnel, I, I don't know what the point of having that seat is now. Because now it's if, a rookie you're not, move. if you're not standing up, if you're not standing up at the end of the bench, then something's wrong with your team's energy. Because I'm sure there'd be some people listening, yeah. whether it's coaches or players or whatever, going, no, I love it. And you know what? I think, hey, we watched decades of basketball where seven guys didn't have to do a routine down the baseline or step out onto the court or wave at guys on short corner threes or wave towels or argue with everybody the whole time. Like other teams did win championships without that level of energy. So I'm going to sound like an old guy by saying, is this actually kind of shitty 
because there's so many times now in a game where I'm like, I can't believe what's going on at the end of the bench. And it's just kind of accepted. And you're right. Stern would have seen this for a month and it would have never happened again because no, he was obstructing so many views too. Right. And Miami, you know, it's almost like when, if you have to shoot a three from that side of the corner, it's like the lion's den. You got 10 guys standing up like an inch behind you. You know, I, I think... Thanasis fair- almost won sixth man of the year and he didn't play. <laughs> he was He was intimidating. He really was. He had like real energy as a bench guy. I was impressed. Peral Bob mentioned something about this on Thursday about how Miami's, it's kind of incredible that they have a chance to be in two finals in three years with some of the mistakes they've made. When you think like Justice Winslow at 10, Nick could have traded that pick for multiple firsts, but then he just didn't, that was a big swing for them, right? To get like their next foundational guy and he didn't, it's even hard to call it a mistake because everybody liked the pick, but it just didn't pan out. Whiteside, all the money they they Maxing. gave to him. Yeah. And so I was looking back and I'm trying, I was trying to think like, how do they put this team together? So the Dragic trade, they gave up the two firsts, right? And they get all that Dragic time and then they're able to flip that contract into Lowry. But that was supposed to be in the Jimmy Butler trade, remember? Dragic. And then because Miami, they're geniuses with this stuff, they ended up sticking Whiteside on Portland. Not only did they get out of what was just a horrible contract, but they they were able to, you know, get Jimmy Butler out of that trade. And they also needed the part where Philly had to fuck that up and spend money on Al Horford over Jimmy. So it's like these three things had to happen just for them to have any chance to get Jimmy. Um, the Tyler Hero thing was a coin flip, 13 or 14 with them in Boston, remember? Boston lost. They get Romeo Langford. Miami gets Hero. Bam falls to number 14 in the Donovan Mitchell draft. And if you look at that draft, it goes off a fucking cliff after that pick. But what's interesting is that was the year they got rid of Wade and then he came, or they got him back from uh, from the Bulls, right? And that James Johnson, it was that it was like kind of a feel-good Miami team. James Johnson had like this resurgence and they almost made the playoffs. They tied the Bulls 41-41 each. And the Bulls had the tiebreaker, made the playoffs. Miami missed the playoffs, got 14, and they ended up getting Bam. And if you look at that draft, Bam's 14. The next picks are Justin Jackson, Justin Patton, DJ Wilson, TJ Leaf, John Collins, Harry Giles, Terrence Ferguson. So just these three random events. And then the old Depot thing, Houston dumps them. They get Tucker because Milwaukee didn't want to pay him. It's just they're they're like the scavengers of the NBA. Just over. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna make this mistake. We'll do that. Oh, we're gonna, we have a chance to get lucky here. We'll get lucky, and they've just reinvented themselves. It's kind of crazy because you think like Bosch, LeBron, and Wade. That was done in 2014, and then Bosch they had the worst luck with that contract. You know, Wade got old. LeBron left. They, it's just like kind of inconceivable that they're back with nobody from that era. Yeah, the white side one's crazy because they threw all that money at him when everybody's like, I know what the metrics are, but does anyone think this? They're and like, look at his PR. Right. And then Spo is sitting there, which I always think is interesting when they're like, hey, the, the media shouldn't vote for any of the stuff, which, you know, I don't know that necessarily any of us are saying, please don't do that. But when it's like, maybe the players should be involved or it should be some sort of stat. And you're like, so white side's eligible for like more, more extensions if we did some 
you know, and I know people don't love PER, yeah. especially with big guys and all that stuff, but like Spose to the point where he's going to max center who he doesn't want to play at the close of games because he can't trust him because he gets blocks because he freelances and doesn't do the rest of the stuff that he's supposed to do. And they also took back Myers Leonard money in that deal, um, right. which was, you know, 11, 12 million or something like that. Uh, I think Miami does the best job of any team in the NBA in the gray areas of roster building. And they convinced Philly to trade them Jimmy Butler when they didn't have to. And they they built up Richardson as an asset the year before. And Philly kind of talked themselves into it. And they're like, well, if we have Al Horford and Josh Richardson, that's better than Jimmy Butler. That was the choice I made. But if Philly says, no, fuck you, we're not helping you. How does Jimmy Butler get to Miami? They were over the cap. Um, Quick game of uh, Hall of Famer, yes or no? I'm going to say yes to everybody because everyone gets in, by the way. So. Jimmy Butler, assuming the next couple years of his career yeah. go a certain way, yes. He'll get in. I actually Horford. think the media really likes Jimmy Butler. Horford? You get the four years in college, two or three years, whatever yeah, it is. I don't the know. two back-to-back. Back. You're not going to find many bigger Horford fans than me, but I mean, come on. You say no for that? No. I, you know, he's going to probably get in because everybody gets in, but I mean, can't we have, you know, I have a, a very outdated Hall of Fame thing, and that is like, at some moment, I, I wanted to feel like you were one of the best players of your era. And I love Al Horford. I thought he was awesome in Atlanta. Yeah. And superstar, like sustained superstar stuff. Yeah, but that's what's know. happened in the Hall of Fame. You see the guys that are that's getting in I'm, now. He's going to get why in. I, yeah, that's why I say everybody's going to get in. By the way, does he? I forget his international resume. Does he have something? He's got a bronze somewhere in the CONCACAF or something? Because that's a lot. <laughs> Clay, he's in. Yeah, he's in. Wiggins? What if oh, Wiggins gets to like 20,000 points? Wiggins might get 20,000 points. But that's the point. It's like, okay, here are the stats. And by the way, the cumulative stats for this generation is just beyond the earlier generations because guys are coming in so much earlier. So like some of this LeBron MJ stuff, depending on how you feel about it, it's like, oh, well, look what he did by this point or whatever. And you're like, I'd rather have three extra seasons from 19 to 22 than three extra seasons from 38 to 41, you know? Yeah. So uh, some of the Cume stats, it's like the Dwight stuff. Like Dwight, of course, is going to get in. I'm not saying he's not going to. But some of the Cume stats, you're like, wait, that's who that guy was? Wiggins is a no. He has to always be. I mean, give me a fucking break. At what point were you? Is Antoine Jameson a yes for you? Nice player, not a Hall of Famer. I think he's going to get in. And I think yeah, Wiggins well, is going to get in too because everyone's going to no get way. in. They want to no, put in Wiggins, like 10 guys a year. Uh, the Wiggins wanted, I'm going to, you know, there's been a few There's been a few where I've gone, hey, I give up. That guy's getting in. Wiggins? Has he ever made many, all NBA anything? No. Yeah. Listen, you're preaching the choir. I think it would be absurd if Wiggins got in. But I'd I just ask you this. To mention, here's, here's a simple Hall of many, Fame question. How many seasons did you have where I was disappointed? How many seasons did you have where I was psyched about what you did? If it's one season versus like 12 disappointing ones, that to me is kind of like not a Hall of Famer. Sorry to be rude about it. How many career points do you think he has? Wiggins? Right yeah. Right now? He's been in the league. He's one, two, three, four, five. I don't know. 11, 11, five? Ninth season. Wow. You got that exactly. 11,519. Holy shit. I didn't look it up. He might, he might get in if he gets to twenty. I think anyone who gets twenty thousand points is probably getting in the Hall of Fame. At you some know what point. we should do? We should then move it up, right? Move it to the twenty five thousand point club. Bam I mean, is anybody is anyone listening to this podcast right now in the car mad that I'm like, come on, Andrew Wiggins? 
I'd like to meet that guy. Hell, we'll book you Tuesday or Thursday. We have slots open. <laughs> Bam has a chance. Okay, but Bam, I have, like, if Miami does something here, it's two NBA finals, and he's, you know, Butler's the dynamic he's got some all-NBA stuff. But, but Bam's the guy. Think how many more, like, at least third-team NBA. Like, he might be the third-best big in the NBA. Like, if I had a Bam discussion 10 years removed from the peak of his career, I can sell you on Bam. Now, there's still a ton of work to do. It's way too early. But Bam is on the trajectory of what we would see as a modern big on top of how great defensively he was. That guy controlled the game without having to be some primary ball handling scorer. He was yeah. awesome in game three. I love that guy. I think he has a chance. Draymond, I think, will get in, assuming he doesn't go off a cliff. Tatum and Jalen are in a good pace. I can't believe I'm, I, Jalen has a chance to get 20,000 points, play in multiple Final Fours, Finals, whatever. Luca, obviously. Spo, Kerr, Lock. Curry. Lock. My point is, there's a lot of there's a lot of famous people in this Final Four. We didn't even talk about Poo or Kaminga. I mean, Luca, he, he would probably have to like retire for some crazy reason over the next four years. Not to even he could probably get in by the time he's 27. Just a lot of like a lot of player subplots. It's like this is. I've enjoyed the I've enjoyed everything about this this Final Four. Even this weird Dallas Golden State series, which we were taping this before we know what happened in game three, but that game two is really fun to watch. Brunson and Luca had 73 points combined. Um, what about what about Miritich? Just one MVP? Miritich? Yeah, I don't... Oh, you mean Jokic? No, Nikola Miritich. He just won the EuroLeague MVP. You know, some put up some points with Chicago. Now he's got the international Miritich part Miritich won the, the EuroLeague MVP? Oh, yeah. I I wasn't aware. Why there should be a Twitter account that tells us stuff like this? Just because I saw Shane Larkin won, he won the uh, one of those titles too. Some team that was led by Shane Larkin and somebody else. I like. I was like, Shane not going to lie. Yep, right there with you. Always kind of yeah. like Shane Larkin. Yeah, well, she was in the Celtics series. Um, let's take another break, and then I have two more things for you. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, mid-season tournament really quickly. For this to work, I would assume it's five games total. The top two teams get bias in each conference. 14 first-round games, eight second-round, four third-round, two semifinal games, and a final game. So it could be five games total. And everyone's silver seems like he's pretty bullish on it because I think there's some money at stake. And they're talking about they'll, they'll cut back to 78 games or 76, and they'll do it this way. And people are asking, well, what's the incentive for the players? Wow, this makes sense. I brought this up before. 
I think the first two rounds, I think the way they should do it is they should count as wins for the actual season, but it should be like super wins. So the first two rounds, you get just one win. If you win a round three game, it's worth two wins. If you win a round, if you win a semifinal game, that's worth two wins. And if you win the final, that's worth four. So potentially you could go one, one, two, two, four. You could win five games that would actually count as nine wins. So if you're a team like the Lakers, you go 36 and 36, but you actually won this tournament, your record is 45 and 36. I'm saying if it was a 72-game schedule. Um, I think that's how they're going to do it. I think they're going to weigh the, weigh the games so that as it goes up, it'll be like a super game. And maybe it won't be as dramatic as four wins. Maybe they'll make it like the finals are worth three, whatever. But what do you think of that idea? Okay, well, my overall statement on all this stuff is that it's unnecessary, but it's extra product, which is revenue. So it's all happening. The gimmicky levels that we're going to see in the next decade in pro sports is like, you know, you don't black don't the tell, Black Friday NFL game for no reason. Yeah, don't tell your grandparents about what's about to happen. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm open to it because I know it's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. But when I think about the soccer template of it, like the soccer stuff is always cool because you're experiencing competition that you wouldn't normally experience. Yeah. And yet in the NBA version of it, like when I I don't I don't follow soccer, but when I when I dip my toes into some of the stuff that they have, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But I feel like it's a whole new level of things that are on the line that are a little bit more rare. And to say now it's this special new in season tournament that we have where, <laughs> hey, buckle up. We got we got Hawks Bulls round one. It's just packaging something that's I mean, it's just a different name for the same package, isn't it? Yeah, you would think like if they were playing European teams in this cup or something and it was like the best eight teams and the wins counted. I The incentivization thing is what they're going to have to figure out. Not just how do you get the guys to care about these games? How do you get them to play in them? I think you have to incentivize them that will help them during the season, right? Um, but you, can ask is, for, you can ask for two extra trades during your contract. <laughs> yeah. Like, you think James Harden's going to be fired up for a midseason tournament oh, unless wait, well, either is, the players make more money or what? I already know what's going to happen. And, and it doesn't mean the guys are right. But, I mean, no one likes change. No one likes change at work. I mean, it's 101. The employer-employee relationship is the employer decides something to do. And the employees sit around the water cooler talking about how every dump, every, like everyone in management is the dumbest person ever. So when this yeah. happens, like, and I don't know how much more LeBron we're going to have, but as soon as it happens, LeBron will send out a tweet and be like, I, you know, I hate this damn midseason tournament facts. And well, I won't even, I won't even know if those guys are right or wrong, but that's what will happen. And, you know, no offense, but we've never had an era where the players have kind of cared less about playing. Right. I mean, we've never well, had anything close to this. So that so this ties into my whole idea. If it's a 72-game season. So 72. Okay, so 72 I'm, games. I vote for seven. This is, they won't do this because they'll never go lower than, I don't think, 78 or 76. Why would they? They why won't would they? give away. Because right. they're fucking greedy. No, no, but, I, I'm telling you. Why would, like when everybody <laughs> bitches about baseball, I go, why do you think the owners would be like, let's lose 40 extra nights of regional product? It's not happening. This is in the perfect world, 72 game schedule with the midseason tourney. I would have the winner gets the 17th pick, loser gets the 32nd pick, and we had the 32 pick first round. All right. Get a little wow. bonus picks. Um, winner gets a $7 million luxury tax bump. Wow. 
loser gets a $2 million luxury tax bump. So now there's some, now there's a little bit of team incentive, right? This actually helps us competitively if we win this. If you do this 72 game schedule, you play everyone twice and then you play your conference the third time. Every other year, you'd have the home game. And here's the other thing. And Silver mentioned this in one of the interviews he did last week. So Silver was doing an interview and he mentioned something that I thought was an awesome idea about minimum game kind of limits for who qualifies for awards. I was like, now you're talking my language. Loved it. I don't know what the limits would be. I was trying to, I was trying to look at it, right? Because Bam missed 26 games. That's why I didn't vote him for defensive player of the year. He missed one third of the season. If they Which took by the that way, off, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but can the announcers one time when they bring up how upset Bam is about not winning defensive player of the year just point out that he missed too many games? I would have voted him number one. But there's also another weird development, and I don't know if it's the personal trainers for these guys working them up. So now they think the world hates all of them when they don't get their way with the postseason awards, which may be part of it. But you know, a lot of times the simple answer of why the guy didn't win the award, and granted, you know, there's different arguments for a lot of this stuff, but like this this outrage of everyone hates me now. I didn't I didn't get the award. A lot of times there's a pretty easy explanation. Anyway, aside, sorry I interrupted, had to get that out. No, I'm with you. So if we have the, let's say we have no midseason tournament, it's just an eighty two game schedule again. Did the minimum, I would make the minimum sixty games. And maybe you could do the minutes too. Maybe it's 2,000 minutes or 60 games, something like that. Like LeBron played 56 games, but he played 2,000 minutes. The reason the game thing scares me is because teams could basically put a guy in for a minute to get him to the 60 game or, you know, they could mess with that, but you can't mess with minutes. The minutes are, I think, a truer indicator of that. But if you had the 72-game schedule with the midseason tournament, maybe it's a 2,000-minute minimum to be eligible for the awards. These are all like easy fixes to me that would just make the product better. To me, the 72 game thing, the owners are super greedy. And by the way, if you're not making enough money, sell your team. There's a million people lined up ready to buy a team. Uh, there's a reason we've only seen a couple teams move in the last couple of years because these things are cash cows. They are. And with the media money that's coming in, there'll be even more cash cows. So we could make the product better with the 72 games. And I, I think there would be more unpredictability with the regular season. The buys, I mean, the uh, seeds will be a little different. You know, if somebody loses John ja Morant for 20 games and you only have 72, Memphis is going to have a harder time to make the playoffs. Like, it's just the whole season will be better if it's less games. Anyway, that's my rant. No, I like some of that. And I, I mean, it's pretty extreme. I don't know if they want to add all of these little incentives in there that people would have to kind of pay attention to. and maybe. People enjoy this stuff and that it's more complicated. I just think that some of the stuff that we see from soccer, which I know has kind of been something that Silver's touched on in the past. And like, by the way, I know, just so everybody understands one more time, like I know I the league would do it. I know I Silver would do it. It's like an extra product. And then you get to say it's something else, right? I know what'll happen. Like the players, no matter what, even if it's awesome in the beginning, the player's going to be like, this is stupid. I'm just saying. It's weird because I agree with you what you're saying about the players. At the same time, I don't think the game has ever been harder to play and more physical. And I've, I, I haven't been this impressed by the competitive spirit that I've seen in these playoff games. Like it really takes me back to like the 80s and 90s. These guys really give a shit every game. They're going all out. And um, it kind of makes sense to me why they don't value the regular season as much anymore because the physicality in these playoff games is absolutely sick. Anyway. Last subject, DeAndre Ayton trades. I think this is going to become a thing we've been talking about on this podcast really since they didn't extend him. 
I do not think he's going to be a son next year. First question. Before I, I, I identified eight teams that I think would trade for him. First question for you. Do you think he's worth a top 10 pick if you know that as part of the deal, you then have to pay DeAndre Ayton like $30 million a year? Because Bill Duffy, I think, is his agent. And he's already said like, he's not taking a dollar less. He's getting a max deal. Well, Duffy was going to say has indicators else, but... out there. Well, he probably has indicators out there like, hey, we're going to max out Aiton. So, like, if you're Indiana with number six, or you are um, Detroit with number five, or you're San Antonio with number nine, would you give up that pick to pay DeAndre Aiton $30 million a year for the next four years? How do you feel about that? It's not an easy answer. Because one part of me is like, hey, look at the history of just the top 10 picks recently, and you've got flameouts all over the place. So why not go ahead and sign DeAndre Ayton? And you can say, well, wait a minute. Do I really want to give this guy four years and $131 million? He's not perfect. But there's a lot of max guys that aren't perfect. So at least this way, if you were Detroit, you would say you're building something. I think there's also an argument against it. You're like, well, wait a minute. Why would I want to go ahead and move a pick this high and change the timeline of events here with Cade? And it's like, well, wait a minute. We're talking about Ayton here. We're not talking about somebody who's like 29. So bringing in Aiton and Cade and what else, you know, what other pieces do you think you have with Sadiq or, you know, Killian maybe, I don't know. I mean, he's one of um, the best 40 players in the league. Yeah, so I'd probably be more inclined to do it from pick four on. Yeah. But I also think there'd be GMs that would go, that's nuts. He's not a primary offensive option. Um, he comes off this, just like, it's probably the wrong time to be talking about Aiton right now, but that's where I think that, you know, I kind of always like my approach that in the moment we're not very good. I still would want DeAndre Ayton on my basketball team, understanding his flaws and some limitations. And so I think a lot of GMs would go, wait a minute, I still want to have, I'd rather, instead of giving him four years 130, which is what a new team can give him, instead of the four 137 or five 177 that Phoenix could give him, I'd say, well, no, 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 you know, like I'll just take the rookie, have him on the rookie scale and I'm a GM and I'm so smart, I'm really good at drafting. But, I'd look at the track record and kind of lean towards, like you said, you know, he's top 40 when it's going better. He's better than that. And he's really young. And I have him here for four years. If it doesn't work out, it's going to, you know, we can trade anybody in this league and maybe I'm pairing him. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm speeding up the process for a Cade Cunningham instead of, Hey, here's another rookie. Uh, and I also think, you know, Never underestimate. It's kind of like the quarterback transaction thing. Like there are times teams bring in a quarterback and you're like, oh, are you really excited about that guy? Well, tell me who you've been at the position for five or seven years. All right. And the so Kirk Cousins corollary. N- right. So if you've been an NBA team for a bunch of years here where there hasn't really been anything that's all that exciting and you're adding eight and at his age and you're going, whatever, four years, you know, it's still a coin toss of some of the, the draft picks, the further on you get down, I'd probably lean towards doing it but I think that this conversation would have seemed like a layup 12 months ago where now there's more questions, which tells me that maybe now is not the time to do it because a year ago, I don't even think we would debate this stuff. And I still think he's young enough to have that feeling that we had in 2021 about him. Well, two, two other pieces here. One is Phoenix is $129 million before they deal with eight next year. Caps one going to be 122 They'll be in the luxury tax. They have Booker making 34 next year and 36 the year after. They have Bridges at 21, 22, 23, 25. They have CP3 at 28.4 next year, 30.8 the year after that. They're paying Crowder, Sarge, Payne, and Shamit a combined like 35 million. Yeah, they have that's Cam a lot. Johnson coming up in a year. So you have a financial opportunity 
to try to get Aiton from them because I just don't think Sarver is going to pay money like that. Now, who knows if he's the owner in a year, but I just, he's shown the history. He's never going to do it. That's one thing. Two is that because of how the season ended for them, and especially with what Dallas did to them, you're kind of catching them at a good time. It's like the the guy who just had a fight with his fiance and they might not get married. Um, and you ask him like, what's going on? I never want to talk to her again. And then two days later, it might be fine. You're catching them at the perfect time. I never time. liked her. <laughs> yeah, don't say, if that ever happens, don't tell your friend, I never liked her until you're sure the wedding's off. It's, it's, I'm doing, now I'm doing life advice. Don't, don't it's, ever no. tell your friend. It's 100 for 100, from so her. you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, you know, I actually, we fooled around, so I'm glad, glad this is over. <laughs> but, you know, I, guess who I value against in a series against Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Anthony Davis. It's not like just You still need a guy. You still like, you need two things now. You need an Aiton and you need a five that's a small five. Because you're going to have, it's it's like different levels of- You need like that Grant Williams kind of- Right, it's a different level of a video game where you go, okay, I got to change out my shields here. I overreacted last week. I was like, wow, I don't know what to think of Aiton anymore because of what Dallas just did to him. And I think it was an overreaction. I regret it. Anyway. All right, so if you're Orlando, you're way under the cap, you're the first pick in the draft. You have Wendell Carter, who our guy Saruti, who's not here today, but he really likes Wendell Carter. He's on an awesome contract, 14, 13, 12, 10.9 in the next four years. Orlando could just take Jabari Smith and then trade Wendell Carter. You know, maybe just it's Wendell Carter for Aiden. Maybe it's Carter and Anthony for Aiden and campaign, whatever it is. And then they look at it and they're like, we have Jabari Smith and DeAndre Ayton now with our, with, with Suggs and with Franz. And like, we have, our team's ready to roll. I'd probably keep Carter. I'd probably not do that if I were them because I like that Carter contract. And I'm not sure there's that much of a difference with them to pay Ayton twice as much. But I just wanted to mention them first. Yay or nay on them. I'd be more towards the yay part of it. Like, I like Wendell Carter. I don't think he's going to be as impactful as Aiton. And if you're Orlando and you go, okay, we, we have this pick. We've got Aiton. We've got Franz, who was one of the better rookies this year. You got Suggs, and, Jabari, Franz, and Aiton. And that's your four. That's pretty good. I think it, now I'm, now I think I'm talking it, myself back into it. Yeah, I think it moves up. I, I just, I cannot, and I'm going to talk about this this week on the draft, never underestimate the person who's making the decision of what their stature is in that spot. Like who has, like Pat Riley can do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? And yeah. depending on what happens, like if Tim Conley takes the Detroit job, Tim Conley can do whatever he wants because, excuse me, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota job. Yeah. Right. Tim Conley could come into Minnesota and kind of do whatever he wants. He should have been able to do whatever he wants with Denver, but it's just a lot more money. Um, waiting for him in Minnesota if that happens. But there's Tim, other Tim guys. Tim Connolly looked at, he looked at the Michael Porter MRI last week. He's like, yeah, I'm going to return that Minnesota call. Um, the money is so different. The combine rumors that I were hearing about Conley and what, what this contract could mean with Minnesota, it's not, it's not the same job, basically. It's, uh, yeah, again, these are some, rumors, but when you're at the combine for a few days and you, you keep hearing the same number over and over again, you mm-hmm. go, oh, like this is, I mean, I'm telling you, Bill, it's it's such a huge number. Makes sense for them. They want credibility. 
So Dore would be flip Carter, maybe throw Cole Anthony in it for Aiton. And if you're Phoenix, that's you'd rather have Carter at 14 million and Biombo as the backup or whatever, and Patrick centers over paying eight and thirty if you're cheap. Door B for Orlando would just be to sign James Harden. And just just come back James time. We'll take him off your hand, Philly. We got the cap room. All right. Here's a trade I like more. And a team I like more for Aiden is OKC. OKC's picking second. OKC has picks 2, 12, 30, and 34. OKC has a ton of cap space. They could just take Aiden and Phoenix could just take the picks back and not even take any contracts. They could do a Sarge favor switch as part of the trade. Um, they could include a future first. They could just dump some picks and just say, yeah, we'll take Aiden. Here's some picks. And you can use those picks to do whatever and take either Palo or Jabari, who's ever left, put him next to Aiton. And if I'm OKC and I have Shea and I have Dort and I have Giddy and I have the chance to have Palo or Jabari with Aiton or maybe even Chet and Aiton, I'm doing it. And I don't care about the picks. I have too many picks anyway. What am I going to do with them? What are they going to do with 2, 12, 30, and 34 this year and then all the other picks they have? Why so not what, like, take what, a swing? What would be the... The deal again coming back to Phoenix, though. I would do, I would offer them 12, 30, and 34. And I would offer the, I would do the favor Sarge swap and I would throw in a future pick. And I'd be like, we're just taking the, you're just removing this guy from your cap. You can start over, you can patch the center position together, and, uh, and we'll give him the 30 million. Obviously, I would not. Two would not be in play for me. Well, so if two's not in play, which it shouldn't be in play, and it's not going to be in play for Presti. Presti, Presti falls in the category he can do whatever he wants. Twelve's a good pick, though. Twelve's a good pick, but I need I need a player. Like I know everybody hates the Suns' guts right now, but there's still a good chance that this can be a really good team next year. And I know that's not what people want to hear, but that's not the way it works. And if you're actually moving on from Aiton. You'd look around and say, well, we still invested for Paul in Paul. We've got two more years. We've got the non-guaranteed moving forward. We've invested in Bridges. We've invested in Booker. Like We need to add something to this that's not just some toss-in asset to do eight in the favor of getting his money somewhere else. And that's kind of, I think, the dare here is I think that the Suns looked at who has cap space and said, well, does Aiton really want to sign a rest- an offer sheet with one of these teams? And I think he might now because he's upset enough about it. Oh, he's, and I'm he's sure going to. Right. And in today's landscape, it's not about where you sign. It's about how soon you can ask out of where you've signed because that whole thing has been moved up here. So the Suns may have thought, well, maybe he's not going to do it. I think he will. But the history for restricted free agents doing offers, 17 have had offers and only seven have gone unmatched. Um, And then you've got the complication where if it's cap space team, it's one thing. If it's not a cap space team, he's a base year compensation thing. So it's not a new $30 million trade piece. It's a $15 million trade piece uh, plus the the 25%. So that makes it a little bit weirder. So I need a little bit more juice than, you know, I kept thinking about different trades for Aiton going, you know, could you talk to Charlotte in some version of this, but it makes it a little more complicated on the sign of trade. Can you find a way to land at a place in the draft where you think you get a piece back that is NBA playoff rotation ready that you like and you get a draft pick that gets you into the Mark Williams slots out of Duke? So Dort, oh, that's a good, I like that one. So I have, I have one for that. Well, first of all, OKC, what if it's 12 and Dort? And I can take Mark Williams 
at tw- at twelve. I need something else. I need something else. I mean, I know everyone loves Lou Dort. I need something else that is, you know, what I really want, and I'd love to do it in the eight trade. I need. It's not Shea Gilgis Alexander, but it's something where, you know, I Tyus Jones, who I love at Memphis because I think he's a really good backup. I wouldn't want him necessarily being the guy running my offense for thirty five minutes a night. But I need somebody to make Chris Paul's life easier. How about Tyrese Halliburton, who they could have drafted? Instead, they took Jalen Smith, who's no longer on the team. Charlotte has 13 and 15. They're at $100.2 million next year. So they couldn't really... I don't think they'd have it's the not, cap. They're not, I, was, I was looking at all the... They're under the cap, but it, it's well, not... How yeah. about this? What if it's Rogier? Now we're talking. And the, Rogier in the 13 for Aiton and Payne. And then, um, you know, Roger is like at $20 million a year. That's the third guard they need. Takes the pressure off Chris. And then you hope to get Mark Williams in that range. I Could think you he's going to go higher than that, personally. What, higher than 12, 13? I think, he's, I think he could be the guy that sneaks up. Well, his, measure guy the combi- his, his combine stuff that happened. By the way, saw Sohan in person. Dominates the room, Bill. Dominates the room. I'm all in. The, just a vibe presence with Sohan that just it was wasn't even matches with Chicago. What about Pirtle and nine? Or Pirtle nine and twenty? This reeks of the Spurs figuring out a way to do this, being like, hey, you know who's really good? DeAndre Ayton. Do you wanna do you wanna just go get DeAndre Ayton and pair him with DeJounte and some of the other things that we felt better about? And we'll, you know, we'll get back Pirtle on the right side. Pirtle makes nine point four million. Uh look, I've defended Pirtle in the past. If I'm the Suns. I can't bring in a rookie in Pirtle. How about Indiana T- Turner and the six? T- Turner. Turner and six is a little different. That's, Keegan? That's bordering on the who says no. But I, yeah. if I'm Indiana, I don't want to trade out of six. Look, I'm not always the biggest Turner guy because I think he makes the fits around him a little bit more complicated. And granted, he and Sabonis were terrible fits for each other. Um, yeah. I thought... But then again, you know, Turner kind of likes playing away from the hoop and Sabonis needs it a lot in his hands. I'm, I just, any deal I'm doing, if I'm doing it on Phoenix's side, it's not, hey, are we better? It's, are we still a really competitive team in the West, despite right. how bad we feel about what ourselves our right now? Ends. Like, Pirtle and Nine doesn't go, hey, look out 65 wins in a one seed again. That's, how about Pirtle, Nine, what, and 20? What if I threw in 20? Um, whatever. Right. Indiana... Maybe TJ McConnell, you could figure out a way to get him in the deal and send back Payne as part of it. I think six is too much. I was trying to figure out Atlanta, which is basically, there's a Capella-Bogdanovich combo for Aiton. Or you could do um, a Kongwu and Bogdanovich for Aiton. But then I don't know what Atlanta would do with Capella. Couldn't make that one work. I was trying to figure out Sacramento because who the hell knows with them. Would they give up the fourth pick for DeAndre Aiton? Wouldn't put it past them. They're at 106.5 million, so they'd have to throw a contract in there. So it'd be like Rashawn Holmes in the four for eight and something like that. Utah, they have Gobert, who's 38, 41, 43, and 46 million next four years. But if you're just oh, talking about that's worth it. Aiton's run our course. Aiton's run his course with us, but we no. need to get somebody who's going to compete. Aiton for no. Gobert, I think, is a possibility. No, that would be such a quick no. I'd be like, who is this? Danny Strange? Never heard of Quick you. no for who? For Phoenix. I'm not taking on Gobert's money. I mean, okay. I, I just, 
I, I just finished a playoff series where you're going, hey, do we actually have a guy that we can close on the floor? But again, it was against Dallas. And Dallas is as good at making your bigs look bad as any team in the league. I wanted to team up his playoff heroics with Chris Paul's. I thought that maybe they'd cancel each other out. All right, enough. Detroit, $76 million next year, and they have the fifth pick. What if they were just like, hey, fifth pick for fifth pick for uh, Aiton. Let's call it in. We'll, we'll give you Isaiah Stewart. I actually wouldn't trade Isaiah Stewart. I like Isaiah Stewart. But fifth pick for Aiton. We'll take him off your hands. And we were talking to Detroit assets. I probably should have, well, I should include Jeremy Grant in that moving forward because they might just find a way to redo the deal with him, you know, and say, yeah. hey, um, even though he gets mentioned in every single trade rumor all, all the time. I don't think GMs would, would say, let's do five for Aiton. But I don't think it's crazy. Like the guy's 23, he's 24 in July. Uh, his his Q ratings as low as it's ever been for a guy we have expectations for right now. He's and a better me, asset than anybody after the top three. It's just a question of do you want to pay him thirty million or pay this other guy six? But guess what? You're going to pay somebody. So when you're a shitty team with no cap space, the fact that you could get DeAndre Ayton to take your money, you just do it. You don't go, oh my god, I can't believe how expensive DeAndre Ayton is. You go, hey, we should be thrilled. He took our money. We stink. So. Uh, the the five pick, I, you know, I still think GMs would be like, no, I like the cost effectiveness of locking in those first four years plus the control in the fifth year. I mean, look, if this is almost any other franchise, we're not even talking about this a year later. So if I, I was his agent, you. yeah, if I was his agent, I would want OKC or Detroit. Let me throw one. I want him. I want him a really good basketball situation for my guy with good guards, and OKC has him. Detroit has him. He'll succeed in either of those places for whatever his potential is. That's where I would want to go. The other thing, too, that I like about you and I when we talk about trades is that you can run stuff through the trade machine and it get thrown out. And it's like, well, have we not learned our lesson a million different times of like that third team to shave the pieces down to make the yeah. stuff fit? So you go, hey, what about this? What about this? And figure out the rest of it later. I'm going to throw one at you. Yeah. So Miles Bridges is kind of in the same boat here uh, a little bit. And so... You could figure out mm. a way to do something with the pick. And would you rather have a guy like Bridges, active wing? Um, and you have to figure out some better point guard combo thing. For Aiden, you're saying. And the pick. So two restricted I, guys. Hmm. I don't know if... I wouldn't want to trade Bridges if I was Charlotte. I like I'm him not saying and Lamelo together. To, but, okay, all right. So, but I'd here's, rather here's, figure out a way to get Aiden and keep, and keep Lamelo and Bridges. And that would right. be my three. Well, then you're going to have to move Gordon out of there, which I don't think he'd be against at this point. Um, I have a trade for you with that. I have a big three-teamer I was going to throw at you. Phoenix gets Rogier. Yep. Charlotte gets Westbrook and Aiton. The Lakers <laughs> Wait, get... Are they going to fit? All right, never mind. Keep going. The Lakers get Hayward, Plumlee, Sarich, and Payne. And Phoenix also gets P.J. Washington. Who do the Lakers get again? Phoenix doesn't get enough in this. And I think Phoenix would have to also get the number 13 pick, which is why this doesn't work because then Charlotte's like, wait, we're giving up a pick and taking on Westbrook? Why are we doing this? Um, the Lakers would just get Hayward and, and a bunch of contracts. Yeah, you lost me at Westbrook. Um, not to say that he can't be traded because I I would never rule out agents finding a way. I was just trying to, to figure stuff. out a, a fun one with him. I have a fun uh, one for you then. Ready? Yeah. Aiton for Zion. Oh. 
And then you take Valanciunas' two years, 30 million, and you flip it to Charlotte for Bridges. I don't even know if you can do that, but. But you could flip Valanciunas somewhere. I think he has value. Absolutely. He has value and he's not super expensive. So the conversation would be this, because this is a bit like the Simmons Harden. Right. So it's a bit like the the Harden-Simmons thing, where I felt like the whole time, if you were the Nets being like, our guy may be tanking games, but at least he's playing. So you need to sweeten the pot for us because we're taking on your guy that will not ever play for you again, even though that might be better than what Harden was doing for the Nets towards the end. So you're always trying to figure out like who would have the power in this. If you're Phoenix, you're going, our guy is healthy, has a great track record of being healthy, and you're bringing him in and you're penciling in you know, 18 and 10 in his prime. And, you know, in the new world of the NBA, four years, 130. Well, it would have to be a sign of trade because it would be different for them. Um, Zion's making 13 next year. And if it was a sign and trade, they'd have to figure out one more piece that would have to be in the deal. So the contracts could add up so they could do the sign and trade. So you said Valanciunas, they just, it's a third team or he's just going to a third team either as in a trade exception spot or whatever. So it's basically would be Jonas and Zion would be in the deal. And then Aiton. That's how, that's how it would have to work. Or you put in like Larry Nance or whoever. That's how it would have to work. I don't think that makes sense for Phoenix. If I'm Phoenix, I want to get a rotation guy who could be one of my five guys in a playoff game. Or like six guy. So that's like a Rozier type guy. Or I want to get picks that I can then flip for a cheaper somebody. Or you have a chance of getting a superstar who then would be playing with Chris Paul and it'd be a little different, I think, Zion playing with Chris Paul than any other situation he's had so far in his career. You go plant-based diet? You like Zion? I don't know if, I don't know if he's going to sign up you, for that. Would you like to but, try these uh, this Beyond Burger I'm eating? It's delicious. These chickpeas taste just like buffalo wings. Just try one. You, you won't even know the difference. There you go. All right. Most likely, your most likely eight and trade team is? Huh. Uh, I know Zach had the Pacers thing before the trade deadline. I still had a hard time. Obviously, if Zach has it, it's it's a real conversation. Which goes We talked saying, about that on this podcast, too. No, I know. The, I know. The Sabonis thing was a real thing. And Sacramento trumped them. But I but think it was that also was a real ins- discussion. It was insane to think a team on the way to being the one seed and winning 60-plus games was like, hey, you know what we should do? Just move our starting center out in the middle of the season. Well, uh, remember when the Celtics did that with Perk? When they did yeah, the Perk-Jeff Green trade? Like, sometimes well, you, you kind of know it's, even if it's working in the regular season, you're looking at the playoffs going, this might not work when we get to the playoffs. Well, the Perk thing was a contract thing, and anybody who gets a chance to get Jeff Green, you just stop what you're doing and you do it. That's how I live. Let's, uh, What's in there? This podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton. Thanks to Steve Cerruti and Dylan Berkey as well. If you uh, if you didn't listen to Rosillo, you'd Barkley. When'd you have Barkley on Thursday? Yeah, Charles Barkley for about forty five minutes on Thursday. Yeah, he always has the worst audio connection ever, but he's always a great guest. He's always like calling from like an underwater phone. Oh, that might have been my fault. Uh, that might have been no, my fault. I don't know. He always has bad audio. They should get him a recorder. But he's always a great guest. Uh, all right. So I will. I think I'm going to be back Monday night. I think I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to do something off the Celtics Heat game on Monday, and a surprise guest as well that I think will shock a lot of people. See you then.